what's happening in the canine industry. For all the latest news, views and expert opinions, stay right here for the canine paradigm. You'll hear from industry leaders, experts, doyens of the industry, learned colleagues, movers and shakers, and the odd Randy guest. Get the latest insights and expert advice from both here and abroad from the people in the know. Now, here are your hosts, Glenn Cook and Pat Stewart. And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here. Today's episode of the show is brought to you by Einswick Dog Quip, who's our good friend Jason Furman. That's E-I-N-Z-W-E-C-K, Dog Quip. Jason is the importer of HF Mills, Herm Springer, and can pretty much get you anything dog-related that you need. All we've your got training stuff equipment. from Jason, haven't we? Yeah, we've got every, I got all my stuff from Jason. Mm, yeah, I've got plenty of stuff from Jason too. We use his slip leads here at work. Uh, yeah, I use his slip leads all the time. Yeah, they're fantastic. Yep. Jason can get you Bramerweb, he can even, um, they get the personalized logos, all that stuff. I've got one saying, so Randy. So Randy. Yeah. You know what we do at the PSA trials is we give away leashes as, that are in, as prizes with your name and position and score and everything. That's right, we do. Mm. Jason provides those. He does. He's such a good sponsor. <laughs> in line with being an all-around good guy and sponsor of the show, Einswick Dog Quip have provided us with one Durofoam ball, one treat pouch, three tugs, and two-handled tug thing. I'll put up pictures of this. Mm. So anyway, that's a giveaway. And we've decided the way we're going to give that away is there's a bit of a process. You have to buy one of our T-shirts and the first person- Only one? Well, at least one. At least one. The first person who can send us a photo of them- with a celebrity, and we'll decide whether it's a celebrity or not, <laughs> yeah. is going to win all this cool dog training stuff from Einswick Dog Quip. So that's it. If you need any dog training equipment, talk to Jason at Einswick Dog Quip. Chances are he can get it for you. Good on Jace. Thanks for supporting the show. Welcome back to the Canine Paradigm. My name is Glenn Cook and joined in studio is my regular co-host, Pat Stewart. Hello. How things, bud? Pretty good. We're at the IACP conference in Florida and we've got a fair few people in the room. So what we're going to do today is we're doing a IACP hot seat. Speed round. Speed round. And joining us first is our special guest, George Kittridge. Hey, howdy. How's it going? Good, buddy. How are you? Oh, I'm just dandy. Happy to be in Florida. So what we're actually dubbed him as at the oh, conference is Horny George. Horny George. Horny George. That's not my own doing. <laughs> it is now. If the shoe fits, buddy. <laughs> it does. It does. It, yeah, it, that's... It, it's, the hat fits, so I wear it. While we were sitting here before, you started telling me a story and I told you to stop. Like yes. you were telling me a little bit about your youth. Yes. Um, and... I wanted to hear it on the show. Like, that's the reason I said to you, stop. Like, you were telling me about some pretty heavy shit that's going on in your life, which led you into training like mm-hmm. it was a training lead. Mm-hmm. And the reason I said to stop is because I want to hear about that on the show. And you were kind enough to say, yeah, look, I'm comfortable speaking about it. So go ahead. This is your moment. Talk about it. Okay. Awesome. So as far as my development into a dog trainer, that that came later. But of course, all of that's a result of my upbringing and my childhood and things like that. And and it really wasn't tying into anything too dog related, more behavioral and uh, and inspiration. And the reason why I, I hold myself to such a high standard is because I came from so low. And additionally, what brought it up was uh, the fact that I feel like I have a significant special bond with yourself. We've bonded a lot, but also with all the Australians here. And that's because I was uh, 
homeless in Australia as a child for a time. And I was born homeless in Hawaii, but my mom uh, was doing drugs and had a lot of personal issues, single mother. And my brother and I were constantly getting ill or injured. So child services came after my mother. And to avoid that in the uh, late 90s, she traveled to Australia and with my brother and I. And I spent some time homeless in Darwin, which is the Northern Territory. Mm -hmm. Very kind of rough place, you know, very hard on on people. And, and especially if you don't have a home there, like truly devastating. So a lot of personal physical development issues. But then we also went to New Zealand and eventually it all came to a head where uh, I actually got taken by child services. Mom overdosed in front of my brother and I, and then I got sent back to the United States for a better chance of getting adopted. And amazingly, I got adopted by middle-class white people who were able to provide for me, but they obviously had their own whole slew of issues. And with chronic malnutrition and things like that, I had oral fixations. I had behavioral problems that just did not make sense. And these, these just poor middle-class white people got this demon monkey of a kid. And, uh, so when I see these dogs, I really relate to their distress. When they have these neuroses, these problems that they can't seem to fix, I relate to it. It's not because they want to be chewing or they, they want to lick their paws until they bleed. It's literally they can't help it. And so I, I understand those addictive behaviors. And uh, I did a lot of personal research and development. I went to college and got degrees in uh, child development and, and psychology. And, and I studied the way that neurochemistry works. And I just was trying to figure myself out. And I kept working with it, worked with kids, worked with kids, got offered a position with dogs. And I, I thought, yeah, I'd take it. And man, it just feeds my soul. And I get it because of all the research I did, just trying to figure myself out. So, so I think I have a really uh, kind of interesting approach. And because of how low I was and what I've been given, the opportunity, the chance to come to literally the richest place in the world, California, in the United States, middle class, like... I feel specifically obligated to make the most out of it that I can. Like there is no rest for the wicked. And, and I, I believe that truly and fully. Mm. I kind of answer. Yeah, that uh, was the story a, I was going to tell you, man. In a big way, bro. Man, fucking hell. <laughs> <laughs> like, like it, it's just my story, you know? Like to me, that's not weird. Like, that, that's your a, life. Being a five-year-old yeah. kid, when I first went to school, I didn't realize that other kids didn't have that. I didn't know that was weird until people told me that was weird. And so for a long time, I was real insecure. Like, like I have all these questions, never met my dad, all this stuff. Who am I? Like, what am I going to be? And, and I've learned through the years that, man, like you decide that. It's a thousand percent up to you. Mm -hmm. and, and that's my little inspirational quote for the day. <laughs> Dude, I mean, I, I met you last year at St. Louis and you're a standout person to me right then like straight away you and I connected mm -hmm. like I loved your energy like I was saying I was watching you you and I were talking um, when we were partying outside at, at the end of the conference and um, you know I was watching you just fascinated with life like you saw a big tree sitting there and you and you said anyone want to climb this tree with me and I'm thinking this is a pretty interesting guy and you just scaled this tree like you went straight to the top of it and I thought that is really cool and you went on these wild adventures and you're just so interested in stuff and I think that's what a lot of people miss out on life is they lose interest in life real quick. They get they get sidelined into being narrow-minded about things. It's nice and it's refreshing to see people who and it's I think that's you know, a reason why I get on so well with Josh is because Josh is a little wild. Yeah, um, and, and I like that in people. I actually like people who don't forget to enjoy life. You know, people tell me all the time is grow up, act your age, do this, do that. 
that's the last thing I'm going to do. I've got no interest in doing that. I, I enjoy being a little silly and having some fun and embracing something a little wild. Even, I mean, Pat does the same. Pat's a bit more focused than I am. He's had more discipline in his career and so forth, but he still enjoys life. Mm-hmm. Pat knows how to, have, how to have fun with everything. I know how to party. He knows how to party. <laughs> everything that's happened in his background, but, I mean, he really knows how to, how to enjoy time. But, man, that is an interesting story. That really is. So go on and tell me a little bit more about, like you were just talking to us in the room before, how you won a competition. What was it? Okay, so it wasn't quite a competition. I uh, actually ended up on Fear Factor, American television Wait, show. wait. So you've met our close personal friend, Joe Rogan? No, Joe Rogan is no longer the host. It was ludicrous. Oh, so he's... Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care for him. Yeah. <laughs> he's kind of bougie. Luda! Yeah, he's kind of bougie, like in person. He's kind of funny, but like, man. So at one point we were all sitting there. We asked him and we were like, hey, ludicrous, would you do this for 50000 And he's like, oh, hell not. Right? And then he's like kind of backtracked. He's like, uh, uh, you know, for what 50000 is to y'all, that to me... I do it for that amount and we're like that's that's offensive (laughs) but yeah fear factor so um i just saw an ad on facebook you know like i'm just i'm just generally an optimist Mm -hmm. and i i've fallen for a lot of scams but one in ten times or something like that something really cool like fear factor happens Mm -hmm. i've done done lots of cool things been offered other shows but but there's like a line in the sand you have to draw of like how much you're willing to like kind of sell out Mm -hmm. and and fear factor was cool uh I had a really easy episode. Nothing embarrassing, nothing gross, like easy, easy 25K. Sweet. Nice, dude. What did you do? Uh, so one, watch the episode. But the first challenge, you had a little table, stuck your head up from underneath into a glass case. There were a knolls, which are little three-inch lizards that are, you use to feed. You have a string in your mouth. You have to pull the string. It'll release a lever. Crickets fall down, and the knolls go crazy and eat the lizards. And it's like, oh, no. Cool. There was this one girl on there. She like she had some hairspray in, like fifty annuls were just on her head. She was freaking out. But I went last, and like I used a little bit of spatial pressure. If they came at me, I'd like flinch them back. I don't have a single lizard on my face. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Uh, second one, my roommate got buried alive inside the coffin. He had a phone. He's supposed to look inside the coffin, get codes, and then uh, they would send that through a phone to a phone that I had on the outside. Ammo boxes with locks. Locks. Undo the locks, like combo locks, put together a shovel, dig them out. Now, when I did it, I personally believe that they tried to mess us up because we just destroyed the first challenge, and this was a physical challenge. The other teams, uh, they uh, they got like they got their codes real quick. They started digging, but like they struggled with the digging, right? But for me, like I didn't receive my codes, so I was sitting there like dick in hand for two minutes, just like what's going on. They end up giving me another phone and being like, "Oh, sorry, service," but they didn't cut the time or anything. So I end up. Uh, I ended up going crazy hard, cutting the locks open with my teeth because they just weren't opening. Had to bite them down because it was getting cold and like I swear they waxed them or something. I broke nails. I was bleeding out the fingernails because I was like, this isn't right. I think they tried to screw me. Anyway, get in the hole to start digging them out. Fuck the shovel. Start digging with my hands. <laughs> like get them out 11 seconds faster. Move on to the next round. And, and uh, they had a car hanging off a cliff with flags on the outside. And the professional stunt team did it in four minutes. Uh, my roommate Nathan and I did it in two and a half. Dude. Boom. 
50k that's in the impressive. bank. Yeah, huh? that's really impressive. Uh, our opponents took 11, but wow. they lied and said they took like four to like make them not look stupid. The power of editing. Oh my god, it's a mess. It's honestly like that's what turned me off of TV. Yeah, it was like 12 hours of filming for like 45 minutes. Yeah, like, Pat, Pat and I have had that conversation quite a lot because there's been a few times where Pat's seen firsthand incidents that has evolved which I won't talk about, but he's seen, he's been there. He's been present in the moment and the media has completely lied about the whole Yo. thing. Yeah. Like we, it's a total cover. I think over. we cut that episode where we talked about it, but I've had probably two, when I was in the army, I've been present at two events that became like worldwide news. Okay. And then watching the news real coverage on something I had like real firsthand knowledge of, and it was total bullshit. And that was for me, I was like, well, I have to extrapolate that out and expect that now everything they're talking about is total bullshit. So just cut it away. I live in a little bubble. I have no idea what's going on. I get my news from people I know (laughs) and that's it. I get to filter it through that and that's all I care about. Yeah, that's huge. I know that. That's cool. That's cool that you were in the army. I didn't know that. Yeah, man, I was uh, in the army for 12 years. He was a commando, which is like the special forces. So um, it's like the elite group. Yeah. Hmm. So, yeah, he's the genuine badass. Yeah, I believe that. Once one time. (laughs) Uh, So, what kind of dog training do you do? Oh, I do pet dog. I like easy dogs. Mm -hmm. uh, Don't we all? I started at Petco, actually, as a a purely positive trainer and did Mm -hmm. that for about two years, two and a half years. But I had a family German Shepherd who, uh, she's the most reactive dog I've ever seen. Like, full 200 yards away, uh, she saw a dog, she would alert, and the fur on her back wouldn't just go up. The fur on her shoulders and on her hips would flare out wow. like she was terrifying looking. And this was my sweet little baby. Is she and a porcupine or a dog? Honestly, I couldn't tell in those moments. Uh, <laughs> wild, right? But like treats weren't doing it, you know? After a certain point, I'm like, wow, like 200 yards. Like when's this going to – I don't have that much space. Yeah. Uh, and, and she redirected on me a couple times, nothing crazy, but like warning nips. And I'm like – I'm not equipped to handle this. And mm-hmm. So I started venturing out, started getting more information, joined the ICP. And I've taken the last uh, 18 months fully independent, like all by myself in Orange County. Mm, yeah, I've been watching your Instagram feed. Yeah, it's, mm. it's really hard. How did you get into it? Like you, you went to college and you did these specialty courses mm-hmm. based on your childhood, things mm-hmm. that you wanted to know. Yes. What broke you into dog training? What was the lead in? Who mentored you and got you into it? I was working at Petco as a cashier and I got bored because it was too easy. And I said, I want more to do. And I was kind of directionless at that point. And I had my family dogs. I was never particularly close with them. Like, I didn't know what a dog could be. My parents love them. Terrible dog owners. <laughs> oh, my God. Like, yep. one time, this is, this is a horror story. One time, uh, we've always had German Shepherds. One passed away. The other one was like seven, eight. And, uh, man, this is going to make a lot of people real mad. <laughs> We adopt a new German Shepherd. After like three days, they're like, okay, we're going out. And so they put them in a crate together. Together. A, a crate together. And like, I'm like 15 at the time. I don't know shit. But we come home and it's just a mess. And like, there was one bite. There was only one bite, one set of holes. And now I look at that and I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> we lucked out. Yeah. So, so kind of deviated from the question. But now I just do easy dogs. I uh, started Petco, became a dog trainer. Wasn't able to help my dog, sought out more knowledge, joined the ICP, uh, got inspired, decided to start doing my own thing, built that to the point where it was sustainable, left Petco, and now I'm just on my path. You know, I'm just trying to master the fundamentals. I'm mm-hmm. not trying to do anything fancy, I'm not trying to do anything special, just uh, 
helping people, helping dogs, and taking care of myself. That's a really important part of it. But you're on a good journey and you're mentoring it with pretty good people. Yeah. So the people that have been major influences, the way that I found the IACP was Chad Mackin's podcast. Yep. And uh, man, I had I had like a professional crush on him for a long time. <laughs> I thought he was like the best dog trainer that ever was. I still think he's phenomenal. Probably is one of the best dog trainers of all time. Has an understanding of dogs that I can only hope to one day comprehend. Uh, from there, I found J-Jack, IACP. I went and traveled and I've done a few workshops. I did first and foremost, Mark McCabe. And he's awesome. I saw him in Baltimore. And then I have seen Chad Mackin twice in California. He came to Jen Freilich's place. Mm -hmm. And I have also worked with Heather Beck and Nelson Hodges. And that is my foundation. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. And then the positive helps as well. And then uh, I had a I had an aggressive dog that just kicked my ass and made me realize, you know what? Like, I need to stay humble. I need to make sure I stay in my lane. Uh, and I don't have to work the dogs that are too hard for me. Like, you you can take the easy dogs. There mm -hmm. are people that will take the harder dogs. And I don't want my ego to cause uh, myself, someone else, or a dog to get hurt. Yeah, perfect. Awesome, Brady. Thank you. Well, I'd love to chat with you a lot more, but oh. we've got some people in oh, the room absolutely. and we're going to swap the hot seat out. George, it has been an absolute privilege speaking to you and yeah, getting to know you as well. Thank you. Yeah. I, I just want to say I'm honored and humbled to be in this room with this uh, as a wee buddy. of people because mm. I am I am way out of my league. Well, <laughs> only for now. And that's the, I think that's the important thing that the good message to take away from this is it's only for now. Like everybody has to start somewhere. Yeah. When I first started in training, as most of us have, We've all sat there and thought, man, I don't know what to say. I don't know if I'm going to come off stupid if I say another word. But the thing is, we all have to start somewhere. And you're young, man. You've got a big future ahead How of you. How old are you, George? 23. Ah, oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> like you are, you are a young guy and you've got a big future ahead of you and you're already studying with some really great people in the industry. And it's only going to get better from here. You know, you just got to reach out and you're doing that. Like you're actually making opportunity for yourself to go and meet people and, and take experience. And you've got to be open to that all the time. Like if there's something happened, if there's a seminar on, every time I talk to people, they say, how can I get better? What can I do? I say, read a book. Tyler Mudo said the same thing. Everybody that I know who's been in this industry and is trying to get out there has said, read a book, go mm -hmm. to seminars, mm -hmm. meet people pay to study under them, you know, do internships, go and sweep the floor to them, go and bring coffee for them. <laughs> I did that with all the IPO clubs that all the Schutzen clubs back in the day. I did all the shit work for them in the early days just so they would teach me something, yeah. just so they would pass the, the mantle on to me. Yeah. And that's how it happens. There's lots of experiences out there. You make yourself open to them. Go get them. Thank you. I appreciate you, Glenn. I appreciate you too, Thanks, George. George. Yeah. Thank you. I'd like to welcome our next guest, Emma Gray Murdoch, who is our number one fan in all of Canada. <laughs> That's right. Hey, Emma. Hey, how are you? Good. How are you doing? Good. You enjoying the conference? Yeah. Say hi to Pat. Hi, Pat. How many... Uh, hello. <laughs> <laughs> how many conferences have you been to? This is my third. This is your third. So yeah. last year and the year before. Yes. In LA the first year, I went all by myself. Um, I flew there by myself, which was kind of scary for me. Mm -hmm. I was so nervous about it that I considered driving with my dog. <laughs> I considered flying with her as well, and then I decided not to do that. So I went alone, and I went to LA. Because the conference was held outside of LA by like an hour or two. Mm -hmm. So I went to LA and explored by myself for a bit, which was kind of cool for me, and then um, went to the conference, and then I went back to LA and explored a bit more and went home. And a lot of people thought that was like really cool for me to do. 
the people who know me because it was very outside of my comfort zone. And I learned a lot at conference. I didn't know anybody. I think I knew one or two people. Mm -hmm. Um, And I remember like walking into the lobby when I first got there and like Jay Jack and Chad Mack and we're standing at the reception desk in front of me. And it was just like... Did you have a moment? I mean, like a quiet moment Mm -hmm. (laughs) where you're like, oh, hey. You had a moment yesterday or the day before? (laughs) Yeah, I did. With Bart? (laughs) Yeah. So the other day we were at the booth with Bart and he looked at my dog and he said, that's the way a dog should be. And then I had a moment. (laughs) I had to walk away. You nearly had a heart attack on the spot. Yeah, I almost fainted. I've never felt that way before. (laughs) Yeah, that's cool. Um, Because we're talking about dogs should be able to do active stuff and be trained, but also be able to chill out and hang out and do nothing. Yeah, I mean, like, I think what he was referring to was the fact that she's, like, begging, which sounds weird to some people, I think. Yeah. Um, They Like, it's a perception that dogs shouldn't be begging, but in reality, you want your dog to be kind of... You know, she's begging to work for me and begging to engage with me, which is good. Yeah, um, Even though we weren't in an active state at that point. So, your heat tonight, you're talking about paper plate race? Yeah, I have my second race tonight, 640. Because you won and it's a, like a... I won one It's heat. an elimination competition. Yeah, right? it's a tournament. So, I mean, we'll see what happens. There's a lot of fast dogs this year. Last year was the first year and we went pretty far. We made it to the semifinals. This year, it seems that we're sort of the favorite. I mean, everyone keeps coming up to me saying they're like rooting for us, which I know means something different in Australia. It means something entirely different in Australia. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone is cheering for us. Well, maybe not anymore. I don't know. There's a lot of fast dogs anyway. We'll see. Uh, So tell us about your dog. Um, So I have Cricket. She's a standard schnauzer. She's three and a half. I've had her since she was a puppy. We do so many different things with her. We've done agility. We've done herding. We've done tracking. We've done rally obedience, uh, you know, regular obedience. We're going to start doing some scent work. We just, I mean, she's great. She loves to do everything. The only thing she really doesn't do well is dog diving. Because mm-hmm, she's little? Or does, just doesn't She just it. is like, she's too dignified for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She's like, I'm not, I'm not a fool. I'm not jumping into the water. Yeah. I want to do dog diving with my dog. They, they didn't call me back when I wanted... It's a, yet another sport that... Another one? Yeah, yet another sport that just doesn't want me there. Because my dog goes ballistic around water. Like, like he's high drive dog, but with the idea of getting into water, just tips him over the edge. But like I mean, they're all like that, though. It. Yeah, That's yeah. what a dog diving dog is. Yeah, exactly. So Pat yeah. seems to have not a lot of luck with clubs letting him into their events. They just don't want you to beat everybody. Yeah, that seems to be the, the consensus here. Yeah, yeah. I don't really have an answer on the dog diving crew, though. <laughs> they just didn't ever go back to me. So let's talk about your career in dog training. How did that start for you? Where did you get in? Who like? Yeah. Let's talk about your initiation into training. Mm-hmm. What piqued your interest? Where did you go from there? You mean my origin story? Your origin story, yeah. <laughs> origin story. Yeah, origin story. Okay. We love origin stories. That's Pat's thing. Okay. So growing up, always loved animals, always kind of wanted to be a vet, but really wasn't interested in, I mean, the science and the math and the blood and the guts. So that was not the path I took. I graduated university through that time over the next what, what year. What did you study at university? I studied communications. Okay. Um, so basically at that time, like if you couldn't get into journalism school, cause the school where we are, it's really, really tough to get into journalism. Uh, you went to do communications. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's that. And at that time I was kind of like, I want to be a magazine editor or something. I don't know. It was up in the air when, you know, as it is when you're like 17. And so I, um, I was working like many different jobs. I was working at a real estate office and retail and restaurant and also a doggy daycare. 
And so working at the doggy daycare and, you know, I was, you know, Caesar Milan was really big at this time too. Mm -hmm. And my uh, boyfriend at the time, who's now my husband, had this family dog who was very, very reactive to everything. Um, he didn't really have a lot of intent. He just was like very under socialized. He lived with another dog that was a psycho. Not in like the aggressive way, but just very neurologically weird. <laughs> and so um, I kind of just started like taking him hiking and really watched him kind of like flourish and like learn how to be a dog and how to behave appropriately with their dogs. And he kind of came to the daycare a bit and stuff like that. And so watching that dog behavior at the daycare was really cool for me. And I'm also like a little bit of a sponge. So I absorb things and don't forget them. And so I just sort of, gosh, now I don't remember, like, I don't really remember the, the skip between that and where I am now. I just started, you know, researching online and mm -hmm. videos and books. And then I started going to workshops and I kind of fell into that trap. I think a lot of young trainers or any trainer does is where you're kind of like jumping between so many different people and methodologies and stuff. And it can be really tough. I think, I think people need to find their fit. Yeah. You got to find your foundation mm. and, or like, yeah, your fit and then make a solid foundation, you know? Yeah. And that was something that I kind of started to get overwhelmed with because you have so many people telling you all these different things. And so, I mean, yeah, I've been to Chad Mackin. I've been to Nelson Hodges. I've worked with Duke Ferguson, I did a shadow with him just this year. That was great. He's really great. And I mean, just there's been so many other people too, <laughs> like Karen Laws and Ted Anthony Mattis and just so many people, plus podcasting. So I've actually learned a lot from listening to your podcast and uh, dog training conversations. Thanks. Yeah, so much. Mm. I don't know. I'm like a learner that can learn in like many different ways. So, you know, some people can only learn visually or by doing things. Like I can learn so much just from hearing things in a podcast. Like it's crazy. <laughs> There's one thing I like about what I saw with Cricket, who's your little schnauzer, is how engaged she is in, on you. Like a lot of dogs that I meet, they're always happy to disengage from their owner and run off and play with other people and lose themselves and, and get quite excited but she is really focused on you like she just it's like bitch please <laughs> you know I don't want to I don't want anyone else to touch me she's yeah. focused on you and quite driven by what you're doing so yeah. I appreciate that I think I do like a dog that plays don't get me wrong I like mm -hmm. to see dogs play but she's happy to play with you like yeah. she is happy to work with you I was yeah. trying to steal her last night and mm. she wouldn't she, she wouldn't, just doesn't wouldn't have any it. part of it yeah. I was like come on come away with me and she's like no eat it dickhead yeah yeah, I know. I mean, if you spent more time with her, like the people that are close in our life, she does like, but it's, yeah, she's a one woman dog. Yeah. And I mean, a lot, I mean, I don't know how much of that is breed, genetics, training, all of it, right? It all comes into play, but like schnauzers are very like loyal and they're not, they're meant to be aloof with people. Like mm -hmm. they're not meant to be a happy golden retriever. It's just not in them. But that said, like I know a couple others and they're all like pretty friendly with other people. So, and she's not, not friendly. <laughs> You know, she's, just, she's friendly. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, not, it's nothing I mean. to do with her not being friendly. She's exactly. actually a sweet little dog. Yeah. She um, she's is... very kind and, but she just, she wants to engage in you. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. In fact, mm -hmm. I think a lot of people have problems with that. One of the issues that most people have is they can't get their dog to engage. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's a problem. That's more of a problem than having a dog that loves engaging in you. And totally. I, and, and, which I have to reiterate that I don't believe that having a dog that engages on you and wants to be with you and in your life is a problem at all. I prefer that. Mm -hmm. Even my dog, Randy, was he likes people. He will happily go over to them. But 
if I walk out of the room, he'll run out of the room with me. Right, yeah. You know, like, and people will be trying to hold him and grab him and say, come back here. And he'll just, no, nah, I don't want to be there. I want to come back with you. Yeah. He's a dad's boy and I like that. Mm-hmm. I yeah, think that's too. great. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Hey, Emma. So lots of different people that you've taken training info and stuff from. Mm-hmm. Who would you say has been the biggest influence on your style? Mm. On oh, my style? Yeah. So like you've um, got a fresh dog. Yeah. Who are you stealing most of your tricks from? I mean, I'd say probably it's like Nipopo, like Duke Duke Ferguson, mm-hmm. and you know, I mean Bart, obviously. Um, yeah. I haven't worked with him directly, but yeah. So Duke's, Duke's brand of Nipopo, yeah, like yeah. I was doing a lot of that already, but I would say he just kind of helped clarify it all. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's great because it's very like deep. Like I was there for two weeks, and at first you're like, I mean, not like why am I here, but it's very like. Oh, I think I know this. Like, this is, I know this. And then you just like go deeper and deeper and deeper. And like, I left after two weeks being like, oh my God, there's just so much more. Yeah. And I've been with dogs. I mean, it's been five years professionally. And so it's, uh, you know, I've, I've, like I said, I have this weird memory where I absorb so much information, which is like another maybe part of my problem with this whole like many different people thing mm-hmm. is that like, I don't forget things. So it could get jumbled, but. Yeah, I think it's – well, two things on, on what you just said there. I think with the Nipopo stuff, especially even at the schools when Bart runs them, the first half day people can be kind of like, man, th- mm-hmm. this is not that complicated, <laughs> yeah, especially when he lays it out and goes negative, positive, yeah. positive. He just – bit of discomfort, take it off, give it a new positive, and then mm-hmm. people like, oh – and then once you start to unpack that and how you can actually mm-hmm. do that and how to implement that in every exercise and mm-hmm. how to make the dog feel powerful and in control in every exercise, you then after a few days go, oh, I don't understand at all. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and exactly. then hopefully by the time he's finished explaining it to you, you go, oh, okay, I get it. Yeah. And like I've been through his school five or six times now every time since Australia and it was probably the third time I went through that I – I understood a new level and then realized I still knew nothing. Like I thought I really knew it. And then yeah. like I, I I felt like, you know, when you're playing a video game, you unlock a new level and you don't know the map and you don't know shit. I felt like that happened to me again. I was like, fuck, I don't know what I'm doing at all. Yeah. And it took me a while to come back around to that. So it's really, I'm sure Duke's doing it because he went to Bart's original school. Exactly, yeah. yeah back exactly. at his house. I mean, it was three weeks at his house. Yeah. Um, so he's got the he understands it very well, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, so it's the same thing. You're like, yeah, yeah, I get this. And then you're like, I think by Bart, the end, you're like, oh my, what? I don't know anything. <laughs> yeah. I think yeah. Bart's going to actually make some time to come back on the show and have a chat with us before we leave Florida, which would yeah. we'd be absolutely fantastic because we were, we were speaking in the exhibitor's booth when he was in there and he turned around. See, this is the thing that geniuses like Bart and many of the other people in the industry don't get. Well, I'm sure he gets it. I shouldn't say that, but one of the things that he sort of glossed over, which a lot of people have done in time where you just think, oh my God, that's just unbelievable. Like he was talking to Pat and I and he said, so many people teach their dog um, how to do a fun behavior where the dog really engages. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then when they try to get obedience, they shut the fun off and the dog doesn't want to do it anymore. And he said, and that's why so many people are successful when they're doing fun stuff. But when it comes time to doing serious stuff, the dog goes, no, no, I don't, I don't want to do this. And they don't understand the difference mm-hmm. because the dog goes, well, this isn't fun. Like mm-hmm. obedience is not fun. It's actually aversive. But it takes someone like Bart to point it out in such an elegant manner that yeah. you just, and he has such a, a fantastic way of 
simplifying that. Mm -hmm. And the old saying is in, in most things, if you can't explain it simply enough, you don't understand it well enough. And Bart has a very simplistic way of putting it because he understands it so well. Most people that know Bart have explained him as a mad scientist or a mad genius. I can't disagree with him. Mm -hmm. That man really thinks about things on a much deeper level than most people do. When people are sort of going, oh, yeah, I've got my, you know, I've got my thing and they're moving on and they're focusing on other things, Bart's walking away going, no, I need to really rip this apart. I can get into right into the nitty gritty of it. And I really appreciate that about him. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, Pat spent a lot of quality time with him. They've traveled extensively together and I can see the effect that it's having on Pat in his personal growth. Like from the short time he's been in the industry, he's already powering through his knowledge because Bart has been coaching him so well and he's listening to it and applying it. Yeah. I mean, I think it's so important to ask so many questions. Like when I was with Duke, like I'm always on him asking questions about everything, even though it's like, okay, I think I understand this, but let me just clarify. And that's the thing, like, being here, you have all these amazing dog trainers. Like, go and talk to them. Ask them questions. Like, yeah, they don't, don't let talk that opportunity to you, go. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. crazy. It's crazy. Something really cool here I noticed is, you know, when dog tra- a lot of dog trainers talking to other dog trainers, so you get to start the conversation with a, a pretty high level of assumed knowledge, mm-hmm. which is cool. So you can actually have some really in-depth conversations. Yeah, about in some, like quick, you know. Yeah, some actually <laughs> cool stuff. Yeah. Because you, you can assume if you're here, you're at least sort of, you know, yeah. at 80% of the fundamentals of the Exactly. And talk about the rest. Hey, so we haven't talked about what you actually do. Okay, yep. Yeah. So, what's your company? Um, my company is called Walk With Me Ottawa. I started it five years ago. I just originally started as a dog walking company. So, like I said, with my dog, we had been uh, doing some like off leash hikes and stuff. So, we started doing that. And uh, I decided, hey, I'm going to. I want to help other dogs, I guess, essentially, and teach them how to be dogs. And it wasn't a huge thing where we lived at that time. Like, there weren't a ton of people doing it. There was like dog walking, just like neighborhoods, but uh, I think there was probably one other company maybe, let's say. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to start a dog walking company. And my parents were like, no, hell no. Like, you're not doing that with your degree. It's not happening. And I was like, well, yeah, I'm going to do it. Like, whatever. My dad's a business owner, but I don't know. He wants what's best for me. Like, he uh-huh. wants me to go work in the government. Like, you know, I have retirement and all that. We're in a government town. And so anyway, I like made a website and got some business cards and off I went and it just like exploded really. Awesome. Um, so like I started at the beginning of September and like by October I hired my first dog walker um, and it just kind of went up and up and up from there. So like now we have 18 dog walkers like full time. Oh um, shit. Yeah. So we take like big groups of dogs, mm-hmm. like load them all up, take them off hiking. I have private land that I own. So we have 15 acres and we have another 46 acres that we're going to be putting a facility on and having like socials and fenced in areas and stuff like that. And then so, but I kind of skipped a little bit. We also do in-home boarding and then we started doing training. So we were doing training kind of just for clients as they needed it. Um, We were always sort of the dog training walking company. So like we were training focused. So we really um, made sure that like, you know, the dogs were, you know, not humping and jumping and barking mm-hmm. and we're working on recall and stuff like because a lot of dog walkers don't focus on that. Yeah. Stuff. And so we kind of, we came at a good time. Like, again, like I said, there weren't a lot of other companies, so we really did explode. Um, that way we were a bit niche. And so then the training just started more and more people wanted it. And I was always holding back and I don't know why there was other trainers I was friends with in my city. And I think they were kind of holding me back in Mm -hmm. a way, like I don't want to step on toes, you know? Mm -hmm. And so finally everyone kept saying like, no, you're a dog trainer. Like all these really good dog trainers were saying, you are a dog trainer. You are a dog trainer. 
And finally I was like, okay, fine. I'm a dog trainer. (laughs) (laughs) And then I just, I was doing a couple different workshops, like I said, and finally I was like, okay, we're going to just release this to the public and be a dog trainer and see what happens. And that also kind of just like took off. And now I have one full-time trainer with me as well. And we mostly do, again, like kind of George was saying, like we do easy dogs. Mm -hmm. We don't deal with aggression at all. We'll do with like some reactivity, but we're not doing anything with like human aggression for sure. Any Mm -hmm. serious dog aggression. We really like puppies. We do a lot of puppy stuff. Um, And I mean, I would like to get more into kind of like sport world. Like I'm just starting to compete in things, but I really love it. Like we're doing barn hunt and we do obedience and rally obedience and we do tricks and stuff. And tell us us about the barn hunt. Oh, the barn hunt, right? Because you don't have that. We don't have that. We don't have that. We don't even know what it is. Talked about. Right. Okay. So where we are, it's a bit confusing because there's two organizations, but I'll talk about Barn Hunt Association because that's the main one um, in the U.S. So, um, and if I get it wrong to the listeners, don't get mad at me because I don't actually participate in Just tell them get fucked. Get fucked. (laughs) (laughs) So um, Barn Hunt is basically where your dog has to find a rat in a tube and there's a bunch of hay bales. It's really meant to kind of imitate, I guess, a barn. I mean, Josh may be able to speak more to this. I'm not sure. (laughs) but maybe not I don't know we'll talk about that later so your dog has to uh, complete a few what what was what was Josh doing in a barn were you hunting for Josh in a barn I don't know (laughs) I thought he might know I figured he might know. He does more of the real stuff. (laughs) So anyway, there's a few components they have to complete. They have to go on top of a hay bale. They have to go through like a hay bale tunnel. Um, And it's like standard for all breeds. So like there's no size differentiation. So like the hay bale is as tall as it is and every breed has to go through. So it can be hard for some dogs. My dog just excels because she loves jumping on things, going through things and finding rats. Um, And it's timed. So you have to have, you know, fast time. Basically, it's the fastest time that there is to find this rat and they have to indicate. And then the judge calls when the dog has found the rat. So your dog has to have some type of indication. And then the organization where we are, there's we have both, but the other one, there's kind of two different types. So we have barn hunt, which is where there's three tubes and one has a rat. So you have to like walk your dog up to each one and you ask them like, where's the rat? And then you judge, you tell the judge where it is. You say, you call the rat. Okay. Um, and that's funny, because, especially with my dog. She doesn't do great at that one because she's so trick trained that she just like targets each one. She's like, is it this one? Is this one? Is this one? To try to get reward. But when I don't have like food on me, she knows it's like game time and she finds the right one. Then we have brush hunt, which is where um, there's a whole bunch of hay bales and there's one tube in the rat and the dog just has to find it as fast as they can mm-hmm. and indicate and there's parameters they have to follow but it's really instinctual and it's fun for the dogs they really like it it's awesome yeah it yeah. does sound fun i've heard people talk about it and it sounds like it pretty is cool it's sport. really fun it's like really it's like laid back and just fun for the dogs so like the obedience humane society is, is all, all good with it like there's no i mean i haven't heard anything like where we no, are it's, it's good because the rat like we were talking about this the other day and i looked into it the rats especially trained they 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 get <laughs> they changed out i know but we just regularly. have to say this because people will listen to this and get triggered and go oh, they don't the get hurt rat. they're in a safe safe <laughs> tube like a hmm. thick tube there's no like the dogs can't hurt them i know but, but i mean we do work we with cats where we're Yes. We, we will have a cat in a crate, like a wire crate that, mm-hmm. for dogs that are reactive to cats. And it's cats that are quite okay, like they've been habituated or socialized with dogs. Yeah. So they understand dog behavior. They're quite fine with it. The cat doesn't have an issue with it. There's a dog exactly. that has the issue, which is why the dog is in the in the program. But people will go, oh, the poor cat. Mm-hmm. He's in a little box. He's sitting there. No, within the rules. dog that comes in. Within there. the rules, there's work rest ratios and everything for mm. the rat. So it's all yeah. good. I mean, what, my friend had a dog and the rat actually like reached out and grabbed the dog's nose and the dog was terrified forever. Of these, like, <laughs> she was young and it grabbed her nose and 
Yeah. I kind of wish we had an Australia because my dog would love this shit. Yeah. Oh, Valerie yeah, would yeah, go Valerie. crazy yeah, for that. Was, but mm. she'd be pissed off. Like, she'd you be that. Start it. She certainly would have an she active indication on that tube. Like, she'd be they like, can there, is, burn, a, there is a fucking rat active. in there and I'm getting in there to kill it. Oh, you mean I, the ones I've seen the craziest are the cattle dogs. Mm-hmm. They just go like ape shit. <laughs> A dog I had many years ago, and Sam's writer and Val had, they were rat killing machines. We had a problem. I live, like, there's a primary school behind me. So sometimes, like, you know, they leave rubbish out and whatever. So there's mm-hmm. rats. And I ended up taking off all, both their collars because both of them were sneaky with no collars off. And they, they oh. would lay ambushes <laughs> and all kinds of shit. They were killing rats, like, they were rat killing machines. So just we just lost our cat, our her. rat audience. Yeah. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Jeez, we've lost so many people along the way, haven't we? <laughs> Think of all the people that we could have had. In New York, they have people going up. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, killing rats at night. Yeah. yeah. There's Ellie, uh, squad or some shit. Millions of rats. Yeah, and they, they're helping solve the rat problem. Yeah. It's really well, cool. Well, we may as well. Mm. Hey, Emma. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Thank, thank you so much, Emma. So great. It was great having you on the show. <laughs> and thank you for your support. I know you're very vocal about your enjoyment of the show and that you tell a lot of people and that you're promoting it wildly in Canada. So... Thank you again. Really appreciate you. Thank you. We appreciate you. Thank Thanks you. A lot. Good luck with PSA that you're going to get involved in oh, in Canada. God. It's growing. Yep. PSA Nationals Canada. Nationals are there this Emigrate in like Murdoch, next month. PSA Canada. Yep. Hook yeah. up. Redline Shepherds. Go My hook up with them. Schauser. I think they're in Toronto. I don't think there's anyone in Ottawa. Is Maybe there? one day. We'll see. We'll you see. could start a club. Yeah. Yeah, I want to, but I need, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> Walk with me, Ottawa slash PSA. Yeah. Okay. All great. right. Thanks. What Thank you. Bill, jump in. Bow wow, Bill. Welcome. Thank you very much. Real name, Bill Church? Yes, sir. So you have like a Facebook, well, we're on it right now. Yeah, we're on the Facebook page and I started doing interviews with dog trainers, uh, colleagues that I know and met here at ICP conferences of the past and and uh, it's a lot of fun, man. It's something that I wish that I had when I was learning and coming up and, and building my business. So we're, <laughs> <laughs> we're just telling we're him just to telling stuff, stuff the microphone Yeah, like stick that, stick that big sweaty thing in your mouth. I know. <laughs> there you go. So we've got uh, Bill Church, or otherwise known as Bow Wow Bill, as Pat has said, and you're an interesting guy. You know, we got to know you a little bit, and you've, um, like, over the next, last couple of days, and you've got some um, really fascinating stuff going on in your neck of the woods. Tell us about yourself, how you got started, who were your inspirations, where it all sort of led to from there to now so i started uh, back when i was a child i was the only boy out of a huge family of, of girls and i i've always uh, admired dogs and and were drawn to them and and i wanted a dog as a at a young age and i'd ask every christmas for a dog and and uh, one year my parents went to my grandparents house and got squeaky who was a 12 year old uh, schnauzer uh, cross and said, we got you a dog. Called Squeaky. <laughs> Called Squeaky. Mm. 12 years old when he got it. Yeah, 12 years old. And I knew it. It's my grandparents' dog. I'm like, oh, well, there's Squeaky. I guess he's living with us. But I took care of Squeaky, you know, and I really loved that dog and and worked with him. And, and uh, we, we rehabbed some pretty bad problems that he had, some bad habits. And and um, after Squeaky went to heaven, then my parents decided to get me a dog, and they got me a golden retriever. And I went and took that dog through formal obedience training and I was hooked uh, from that day forward and fast forward to the future I went to school for you know finances I was really good at math and stuff but uh, I wasn't happy Mm -hmm. and um, I was up in Seattle waiting tables and I decided to kind of do some soul searching and 
and realized that the real true time that I was, I was very happy in my life was when I was working with dogs. And I decided right then to, to quit my job. And luckily, I had a, a beautiful wife that was working that could support me as I made that transition and bringing that uh, ship of a successful business closer to the dock so we could take sail together. And now I bought in a ranch and have a very successful training business and uh, branching out uh, to more of a, a teacher mode with uh, the interviews that I do and and uh, doing a lot more rehab work. I, I, I really get uh, fulfilled uh, working with dogs that have... Um, been through you know horrible situations or, or or neglected or whatever and showing them a different form of what's possible and celebrating with them their new life mm-hmm. so what's the time frame like on all of that when did you quit waiting tables and decide this is it i'm full-time oh man i i mean a year you know no i mean how long ago oh how long ago that was 12 years ago right okay yeah 12 years ago full-time uh, but i've been working with them like i said since i was a kid and and since then you know, I've learned from so many. I've learned from man Jay over here, uh, Chad Mackin, uh, Mark Goldberg, uh, Nelson Hodges is a huge, huge influence. I've actually had Nelson at my property uh, for two seminars. Mm-hmm. And so I've learned from him directly and I continue to learn from him. You've got an amazing looking property, by the way. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, yeah. you were showing us at dinner last night. I was like quite blown away with how pictorial it actually is. Well, dude, you know, George, as he was saying, that our reality is 1,000% up to us. Yeah, man. And that's it. You know, get clear on what you want and go for it. And until the universe shows you that picture that you have painted, then don't accept anything less. That's deep. You know, it is deep. As a math major, we go with 100,000, 1,000%. That's Jay, just heckling from the, from Jay the background. Jay wasn't here for the brief when, he was, when everyone was told to be quiet and not ruin anybody else's interview. Turns up late, heckles from the background. It takes a leak. Classic Jay Jack. <laughs> and uh, Tony Anchetta. You know, Tony Anchetta is a big influence on me too. I, I, I went through that Keeler program a few times. When I first heard about Keeler, I, you know, of course, it was demonized and... You know, it was very surprising to find that this was one of the most gentlest and fairest methods that I've seen working with a dog when done and replied correctly. And during my course of dog training, you know, I, of course, started out, you know, kind of on the positive side. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you, you get dogs that it just didn't work. And so you would just learn from more and more people. And because you're working with so many different dogs and you're also working with different people in different environments, and those are the three variables that are always changing, and we come in and kind of we're looking for patterns and where the where the situation went awry or whatever. And a lot of times the dog is a, a symptom of an overall bigger problem in the family, a, a move, a divorce, empty net or, you know, whatever's going on, a big change. And sometimes, you know, that's that's what we are as, as dog trainers is, you know, a pretty big, um, I don't know, a coach in that uh, aspect of. Of, of knowing that bigger picture mm-hmm. and how it's going to influence that animal. And um, we need an eclectic knowledge base. Yeah. You know? I agree. Mm. It's it's very interesting to hear you say this started out sort of positive only. I think if you were to draw a survey of people here at the IACP, uh, it'd be a huge amount of people that have changed over, I certainly am myself, because the positive only training is awesome until it's not. Hmm. Until you hit a competing motivator where your positive only doesn't cut it, and then 
that's when people sort of have their eyes open and go, oh, okay, I get it. And like I've, I've talked about on our podcast before, if you don't know anything about behavioral science and you look at it and someone says to you, this guy over here is saying, yeah, you, you can use punishment and pain as a motivator. And then someone else says, you don't have to do that. There's absolutely no reason to do that. If you go with the other guy, you're a fucking asshole. Yeah. Like, cause if, if you don't know any better, you got to go with that advice saying that you never need to use any punishment. Hmm. And, but then when you get to the point where you go, oh, that's not true. Yeah. <laughs> now I go over to the other side. Well, the difficulty is that's the highlightable context that people paint it in when they're trying to look for their argument is they're saying you deal in pain. Hmm. And that's where people go, oh, God. And Pat put that into brilliant words is that people look at that and they think to themselves, why do I want to be involved with somebody who wants to use a pain application to control a dog? But they're not looking at the holistic picture of everything. They're simply looking at the trigger word, which somebody has said, you use pain instead of you use operant conditioning. Yeah. So instead of looking at the science application, they look at the trigger word. And straight away, people who don't know any better will go, what do I want to do? Do I want to work with somebody who uses love and treats? Or do I want to go and work with somebody who is focusing on belting into dogs? And some people get lucky. You might have a nice social dog who's not overly driven for anything, has nice food drive. and It works with the program. Yeah, and he yeah. will work beautifully in a positive-only method and fit into your home and everything's great and you'd be this advocate for a brand and you'd be right. But you'd- that's the great thing about our style is because we work with that. Yeah, exactly. Being and a balanced trainer, you say, yeah, go with that. Exactly. This is what we're going to do. We're going to work with positive until it doesn't work. Exactly. Hmm. And that's it. Yeah, yeah, that's where we're going with, you know, until, until it stops working. And I tell people, you know what, doing what's right doesn't always feel good. Mm. And I get it because you want to feel good because we are in the emotional arena with this dog. And there's many different corporations around the world that spend billions of dollars just to get their product into the emotional arena because people are 10 times more likely to act based on emotion than they are on pure intellect alone, right? And so being in that emotional arena by itself, I mean, I've experienced pretty salacious attacks from positive-only trainers. And, and the thing is, too, is that it's funny that it's positive-only to the dog. You know, they, they, they'll, they'll attack people yeah, yeah. like like almost death threats or, you know, you deserve the most horrible I've, thing. I've man. been telling people for a long time, Bill, that some of the most violently spoken people I've ever met in my life are people that preach positive training. Like the, th- the, the actual comments they make to other people – are staggering. Yes. Like they basically believe that the human race is a plague on earth and it needs to be eliminated. I cannot, <laughs> I absolutely cannot, <laughs> I cannot comprehend the, the comments that I've seen online by the positive movement people. Some of them are absolutely shameful. Mm. However, however, let me say that back when the IACP was going to have Karen Becker on here, some of the comments that people in this industry made in the balance industry made towards Karen Becker was also shameful. Absolutely. So it goes both ways. Absolutely. It absolutely goes both ways. Well, you know, some is- people are reprehensible about some of the things they say, but I mean, I've got to tell you, some people who preach, you know, love and kindness in training towards animals can be absolutely shitful towards human beings. But they're internet comments. They're not face-to-face comments. There, mm. it's a different thing. Of course uh, it is, but it's still it's still said. We talked about in print. I have a puppy raising tutorial bill that on. It's my Springer Spaniel. It's this guide on how to raise a puppy. One of the videos is how to choose a breeder. We had this advertising campaign, and it that was one of the videos we were giving for free. And we got death threats because we were recommending that people go uh, how to choose a breeder instead of just going to a rescue. Like legit death threats. Guy sent 
to the page. So then I just messaged him from not the page, like me personally on Facebook. And I was like, hey, bro, I see you're in Sydney. Good news. So am I. Here's my home address. Come on over. Mm. And you know what? He never turned up. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Disappointing. Because you'd expect that to <laughs> Yeah, yeah. There I mean, a lot of it is talk. And the bottom line is that people are trying to think with their emotions here. Mm. And that you can't do that. You know, and I get it. These dogs, I love them. I love my little dogs, man. And I, every day, that's why I've traded my, my life to work with them and to help educate people about them. The last thing I ever want to do is ever hurt a dog. Yeah. And we all agree with that. I don't think I've met a person in the industry that I actually personally know of that enjoys or gets off on hurting dogs. Yeah. They, that what they do get off on is actually the fact that they're able to improve the relationship between the human canine bond. I mean, that's the thing that they really enjoy. I have not. I know people who have hurt dogs. I don't know them personally. I know of them. I know people in their training methodologies who have done the wrong things by dogs. They've been assholes in training. Yeah. But those people come unstuck. They're their own problem to themselves. And I, I mean, I don't want to borrow them. I absolutely don't want to borrow them. That's not what we got into training for. One of the most powerful things that we can say as an individual, not just as a dog trainer, is I was wrong. And that, that statement needs to be said, mm-hmm. you know, and sometimes over and over as you, as you progress and evolve and learn. And, and, you know, when I'm so, even my, my older dog, Cedar, I'm just like, dude, I'm so sorry mm-hmm. yeah. because I was so wrong about these things. And now I know, and I'm so thankful that you taught me this mm-hmm. and that you are here for me, you know, and, and even though that I was wrong, you're still here and I still love you. And, and now I see uh, where where I went wrong and now I can write that course. Mm-hmm. But I also tell people, you know what, don't believe me and, and, you know, let the dog show you if I'm full of crap or not. You mm-hmm. know, and Dude, 50 years ago, doctors were smoking cigarettes and promoting cigarettes. Yes. They weren't saying that doctors promote camel cigarettes, but you'd actually see doctors sitting there at the end of a hard day, I like to smoke a camel cigarette, which basically said that doctors promote smoking. Yeah, they promote it. Like, look at black and white TV shows. They promote, they'd be like, four out of five doctors agree, camel and cigarettes. Like, they're used to prescribe camel, so they used to prescribe cigarettes for asthma. Mm. <laughs> that's like, true. Yeah, that's true. If you, at, if you look at old advertisements in the, in the, like, you know, whatever, 40s, 30s, 40s, whatever, they're, they're like, they're literally like, this helps with asthma. You're like, Jesus Because it kills you. And then you don't have asthma. I think on the actual movie, the, the King's Speech, even though that's based in a little bit of fiction, they were actually recommending to King George that because of his stutter, give him a cigarette and that would help relax the larynx, like yeah. help him because it was a gentleman thing to do. Gentlemen smoke cigars, gentlemen smoke cigarettes. So Mayor Angelou actually said it best. I've said this on the show so many times. See if he can I get it right it. this time, Glenn. Yeah, I do. I, I've, <laughs> I've, I've stuttered on this before, but do the best you can until you know better. And when you know better, do better. If everybody lived by that statement, I mean, that is my hallmark statement now. Science gets it wrong. And then sometimes they come back and say, you know what? We were wrong. We've recorrected ourselves. Current studies and current knowledge, current technology has led us to this point in life. We have to forgive ourselves for making mistakes in the past because we didn't know better. We knew what we knew at the time. Now we know what we know. We've got to work with that. And that's... 
And that's in everything. That's in every industry. It's in everything. Everything changes, goes forward. Well, that's why it's so important to come to events like this. And, you know, I tell people your network is your net worth and to tap into the network and meet people and talk to them and talk to them about cases that you don't, you're, you're kind of struggling with. And we all have pearls of wisdom. We all have something to teach each other and learn from each other. It's just that the humbleness that it takes to, to accept that and, and to actually show up. You know, a lot of it is, I mean, the majority of it is showing up and, and, you know, meeting and shaking each other's hands, looking each other in the eye and, and uh, building rapport. But just like what we're doing with the dogs, we're trying to build rapport in that relationship. And so it makes sense that we build a rapport in a, in a community that would help us improve. Yeah, I 100% agree. I think, and the international, internationally, dog training community is very, we share a lot. Because there's heaps of work and there's more work than any of us can ever possibly do. Yep. And so there's so many people you can just contact and say, hey, man, remember we met at whatever. I'm having trouble with this. Can you help me out? And I do that mm. to people all the time and I get those same messages from people all the time and I've never had anyone tell me to get fucked. I've always gotten back, maybe not right away, you know, maybe not as in-depth as you would like, but everybody always gets back to you and, and is helpful. And yep. I think people across continents feel a little less threatened than what they would if they were local i think sometimes local it's a bit of a pissing competition for some people not so much in the in the realm that um or not the realm but with the collective of people that we've been working with lately we're actually networking a lot more and i think the encouragement of people is let's not fight with each other because there's so many dogs out there for everybody i mean you could stack them on you could stack them to the moon in pet dogs yeah there's so much work available to people we need to raise the bar you know we need to raise the ceiling so people can actually come together and be better and show people what we can actually do instead of um, trying to rip people down and say, oh, this guy's shit and that guy's shit. Look, there are bad people in the industry. No no two ways yeah. about it. What those people need to do is realize I can get better, I can improve, I can raise my standard as well, and I can raise my ceiling. Like I can start to actually talk to other people. And that's what I think at the end of the day, rather than sound like an ass about it, that's what we're actually trying to encourage people to do is go out and meet people like we're all doing that, like there's – what eight of us sitting in a room together mm-hmm. and there's there's hundreds of people here who are trainers all across the world they've traveled all across the the united states australia canada there are Iceland, people who come together that Italy, are well, you know. well there's people sitting at a bar together sharing a drink and talking about our application of training and we might agree to disagree with certain things that we do but in essence it's not that far from each other and the main importance the thing we have to ca- take away from the whole culmination of it is that we're improving the life of an owner and their dog that's right you know being the voice for for you know an animal that we are higher consciousness for and you know it's important that we also take action and there's there's nothing that that really told you guys that you need to bring your audio equipment and that we need to sit down and record this for who, all these listeners that are listening to this right now. It's you guys who have decided to take the action to produce this content. And same thing that I do with my Bow Wow Bill page is just I see a need for this, a need for unification mm. and integration as well as with the working dog in the pet world. You know, there's things that we can all learn from each other. And, and I think that harmony is possible. You know, it's, it's and, and, and people ask me when I, I'm a successful business owner and I'm not going to be consider myself a success until the, the amount of dogs being put to sleep every year 
drops significantly, as well as the child bite statistics that we see as well. Eight out of ten mm. dog attacks happen to children, you know, ten and under. And I want to educate those kids as well. We've lost a lot of, lot of old-world teachings that, um, you know, that I want to bring back too. And even talking with Dave Croyer on my on my interview about Bob Bailey and and some of his stuff, the law of learning and and how theory is the technology behind it, and it's just fascinating stuff, man. We're always always learning, mm. always growing. Yeah, well, I mean, Pat and I were inspired by two of the guys that are in the room, Jay and and uh, Josh. You know, we listened to that. I've been on um, Josh's podcast, and we were sitting down and. At home, and we basically said, you know, look, there's some fantastic stuff internationally. Why don't we do it for our own audience at home? What really happened was Glenn was on Josh's podcast and he got the taste. He's like, <laughs> I need more of this. Yeah, I just said, fuck that. I guy. need more of this. I like it. Yeah, I'm, I'm drunk with power <laughs> now. Drunk yes. with power. I need more of this. Want to help me? I said, yes. Because I like this microphone in front of my face. <laughs> hey, Bill, I'd like to thank you very much for joining us on thank the show. You. We you could uh, we could talk to you for quite a lot longer, but we're trying to hot seat it today. So yes. uh, plug your show again, Bow Wow Bill. Yeah, Bow Wow Bill, uh, Facebook.com forward slash Bow Wow Bills. And I'm going to have you guys on as well once you get back home, get settled, and then we'll do uh, some more work together. I, I really enjoyed meeting you guys here. And, as if we. Uh, yeah, mm. it's going to be. I heard uh, we're going to Burning Man together. Dude. <laughs> we better. Jay. You got a Burning Man with us? What? You gonna go to Burning Man with us? <laughs> Burning Man. Oh fuck no, dude! You want to see me just murder hippies? And hippies? <laughs> 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 Jesus Christ! Thanks, gentlemen. I mean, it would be hilarious. You know Here's I mean? Josh Moore and the barefoot dog trainer. Let me wipe this. That would look like the beginning of every apocalypse zombie movie. Just people running and screaming as we tackle people from each other in the neck out. Everybody wears a mask, you'll be fine. Welcome to the show, Mr. Josh Moran. Thank you. The Josh the Dogman Moran. Glad to be here. Once again, barefoot dog trainer wearing shoes while on our show. So, yeah, well, this. What's with that dude? This place has been kind of oppressive <laughs> with with shoe wear and and not letting you in the pool and not letting you I'm gonna say generally speaking how you behave here is it's treated quite seriously mm. yeah it was a bit a uh, bit of a an awakening uh over the last couple of days wasn't it with uh duke being arrested and well, well he, wasn't arrested. he wasn't arrested <laughs> yeah didn't you hear about that no oh, no, no. He, did, he did not get arrested get i arrested. feel like i'm talking out of school here but from what Duke told me. Super reliable. Reliable source. You jumped in the pool. There was a sign that was put in the pool, don't swim. And he decided, fuck that. I'm I swimming. I don't get told what to do by signs. Yeah, exactly. Red <laughs> so, <clears throat> so you, I mean, honestly, is a sign floating in a pool even really a sign? That's not right? that's, that's, a, that's just that's a, what I saw. That's bullshit. I viewed it as a recommendation. Hmm. Maybe, maybe don't. Mm -hmm. I don't know. But he jumped in the pool, mm -hmm. and then uh, three police officers surrounded him and <laughs> marched, his, yeah, marched his ass up to his hotel room and then, like, woke up his wife and made him pack up all their shit and, like, take all the groceries out of the fridge and fucking schlepped his ass down the road to another hotel. <laughs> Are you for real? Yeah, yeah, serious. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
He only uh, got let back in today. Well, no, no, that's what I mean. He did not get arrested. But he got threatened with arrest. That's what I said. Yeah, yeah no, he, he did not get arrested. off the property and arrested are not the same. Yeah. Trust. But he was moved along, sir. Yes. For swimming yeah. in the pool. At least that's what I heard. Swimming. Listen, I don't fucking blame me if I got that grotesquely out of context or well, wrong entirely. If, if, you are, if you are instructed to follow somebody and you are under their their instruction isn't that technically an arrest no no, no. okay fair enough no, no that's kidnap okay <laughs> so, okay he was kidnapped because the problem is this you're on private property yeah, yeah. so they can revoke their oh yeah he was tra- he was told he was trespassing so yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. That's, that's the same rule for Tre- security mm. you sir are trespassing in the pool on this hot day yes mm. gave no fucks whatsoever that me and like eight other people were out on the beach going crazy I was with it you. Looked like no, yeah, I know, but they didn't give a fuck about us being in the ocean. Just stay at, out of the at pool at two o'clock in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> the ocean's not private Well, yeah, yeah, but but that was my point. Is like you can go right over there. It's not a so you were. It's a you were in the red tide. All right, hang on yeah. a sec. Stop the interview, Byron. Yes, sir. Why were you in my toilet for like ten minutes? Taking a piss, man. For ten minutes. Oh, you should see the unit on this lad. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's keep Sometimes going. Sometimes it takes like six just to get it going. <laughs> so, you, like you, so uh, you sir have swum in the red tide. Um, no, not technically. Yeah, I don't want to talk about it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> For fear of being arrested. Uh, I was in the ocean, yes. Uh, so, you're somewhat of a veteran of ISCP conferences. Mm, yeah, I've been what been to a few. And a son of Australia. An adopted son. I like that. Yeah. I think I've been to five, six ISPs. I'm not certain, to be honest. And how did you recover from the trip home from Australia, which you just recently did? Uh, I went camping with my my lady. Mm -hmm. Took all of her dogs out and uh, we rented a place on 140 acres and told everybody to get fucked. Nice. Pat's got that down. Pat, yeah, that's that's actually um, a a part of his uh, catch cry. Yeah, I fell asleep a lot in the middle of the day. (laughs) Good. Enactments, you're like my lady. Uh, That's my lady. Yeah, that's my lady. (laughs) (laughs) That's Josh's phrase in common usage. It 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 is. Even calls dog like dogs. My little lady. Listen, that's 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 homegirl. Yeah, (laughs) I don't know what else to say. Yeah, yeah. So we see you mostly at night at the conference. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I like, think it's quite fucking rude. I'll put this out there. They start some of these things at 8.30 a.m. Yeah. What is that about? Mm. Well, it is actually that a is... work conference, technically. Yeah. No, I'd agree with that. 8.30 is, is early. Yeah, man. And there's times where they encourage you guys to, like, mix it up. Here's some free drinks. And I'll see you at the ass crack of dawn. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> Well, we just got sweaty with Josh Moran about the ISCP conference. <laughs> We're trying to sell about how great it is, and Josh is here just dripping the bark off oh, it. Listen, I've been to a bunch of them. I love this place. Yeah, I, I, have, I know. I have a great time. I proselytized it in Australia a bunch. Uh, I, I am you a fan. the flag? I do, yeah. You do? You uh, are you're the reason uh, I, I'm here. Hmm. You are I'm, an I'm ambassador. That. But yeah, 8.30 is too early, you. and I sometimes feel bad for whoever they schedule at 8.30 because there's a high likelihood that I'm not going to be there. Yeah. Mm. You originally sold it to me. I was the one who uh, I came over here because of you. Sweet. Hmm. When we're talking about it back home, and you kept saying you got to come, you got to come. That sounded wrong. 
<laughs> you got to come. We're going to do it. You got to come, Glenn. We got to do it together. Mm-hmm. Amen. I oh, can't do man. it alone. No man left behind. Doing it alone is selfish. <laughs> well, it's... next subject. Yeah, I'm going to cut all that. <laughs> well, you can't cut it from Bill's live stream over there. Yeah, it's It was like when we we interviewed Jay. I just thought, what can I salvage out of this conversation? <laughs> <laughs> Tell us something interesting, Josh. What do you got? Well, apart from not swimming in pools and Duke getting arrested and you gouging your shoulder open on a clip on a tree. Yeah, man. I got bloody today. Mm. Something interesting. Um, well, shit, man. I'm not really certain what to say in that, in that context. Mm-hmm. How long have you been growing your hair? Five years. Yeah. Five years. Dad joke from J Jack on the floor. Yeah. Stuart is heckling yeah. over there. Yeah. <laughs> and as he has more of his monster energy can, he gets loosens up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know, man. Uh, interesting. I did find interesting, actually. I got to see some of the um, sport that Jay was. The was GRC? Doing. Yeah, yeah. GRC. Mm. I think it was called something else, uh, like a SR test or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's right? the entry test to yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, the social responsibility, right? Yeah. I thought that was pretty excellent. I, I didn't get to see the entirety of the process, but I liked the way Jay was talking about why he liked to introduce that to people. I thought was really, really important and a cool message because mm. I think he's right in a lot of ways. And one of the things I thought was nice to hear was him talking about the difficulties of getting people who have no interest in putting on a suit and what sometimes comes with protection sports, whatever that may mean to you, whether it's Schutzend or ring sport, etc. There's a lot of baggage that can sometimes come with that. And I think that is doubly true for people who are involved in rescues. And as, as most of us are aware, most people get into rescues for very emotional reasons. You know, this dog was abused and blah, 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 whatever it draws people in. Mm-hmm. And I think it is hard for those people to then accept, yeah, I want to take this dog and like make him bite the guy. Like get them to bite somebody who approaches your car type of thing. And I thought that was, that was a really good way to, to put that forward. So I think he's, he's doing some, some sweet stuff with that sport. Yeah. Pat made a good point about this a while ago where he sort of called out a few people and said the GRC and the SR test are, are going to be a very important foundation for a lot of people. And especially for people in rescue, hmm. you know, people who are complaining that their dogs have no outlet. This is, something that is very it's like nose works for a lot of dogs this is very inclusive for a lot of people it's not terribly hard uh i think jay's put a lot of jay said to me a while ago when i was looking at some of his um his functional bjj stuff he said to me you know like i'm a bit of a nerd on this sort of stuff i love um really researching but it's not about being a nerd it's the fact that he's very passionate about it like when he immerses himself in something like he has this uh amazing and captivating way of grabbing it and really taking it by both hands. And he's done it with this, with the GRC thing too, to recognize there's a big hole in the community where a lot of people who are focusing on testing or sport work for dogs, they're kind of making it at an elite level where it's quite difficult and it gets so hard that people just basically say, well, this is like being a black belt. You know, so many dropouts occur along the way where this isn't like that. This is actually very, very achievable by a large part of the population a lot of people can actually do especially the sr test and i can't think of a better test for a lot of people especially in worldwide that this could really take off it could be something that people could actually use and make good use of i'm going to risk upsetting some people 
and I'm going to say some stuff that with Jay in the room, when Jay came to Australia, he arrived at my house on a Friday. The SR test was going to be on the Wednesday, Wednesday night. Val, my springer, didn't have a front finish. She could retrieve to the front, so she knew the picture. Jay explained to me how it would go down. I called her into a like a front position that she knows is not like a proper finish. Took the step back. She didn't follow me. Turned nine degrees, didn't follow me. That was on a Friday. Did a few sessions between the Friday and the Wednesday, and we passed, right? Because it's just not that fucking hard. <laughs> so what I don't get, as a professional dog trainer, if you have your dog and you can't, if you know the rules with enough time to prep, you should be able to pass that test. Jazz is in the room. Jazz got 100% in the test. Everybody from our PSA club, not with their PSA dogs, but with their personal, like their pet dogs, all passed. Brent passed with his dog, his little Mally. Five of his clients passed at the test in Melbourne. If you can't just get your dog out and do that SR test, no, having known the rules, right, there is a problem. You need to question how well you can train a dog. And then there'll be people who say, well, I don't agree with the middle or whatever, right? It's like no pressure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but Emma's in the room, but Emma only found out the rules yesterday. So she doesn't get through no problem, right? But if with a week or two, you should be able to get through this. This is like, so in the, like the PDC in PSA, that's why there's no requirement for a focused heel or whatever. Because if a dog has some drive, you should be able to teach it in a few weeks mm. just to be able to see, okay, should we bother continuing with this dog? As was the original intention with the BH. It's just meant to be a, should we bother? Now, then there's people who are complaining about certain aspects of the SR test. Well, you just have to do it. Like if a fucking association in Australia will let me do it, I want to do a BH. It's not because I love the BH. I just want the tick in the box. And I think that people should be able to then do this SR test. And if there's a behavior in it that you don't particularly like, just teach it. It's not like... Like Jay loves the middle position and that's very important to him and he has all these reasons for it. And I agree with those. No, but some people don't agree with those reasons, but just teach the behavior. Sure. Just teach it and get on with it. Same as in PSA, the carjacking is problematic for us in Australia. I wish that wasn't in the sport, but it is. So we train it and we train it in a way that is, it's it, within the rules, it's cued. You get to, you get to put a harness on. It's the only time you're allowed to do that. So you can cue it. Cause I don't want my dog guarding the car. I don't want that. My, my dog is worth more than my car. I would rather someone politely ask him to leave and he'd do it and the car gets stolen than him protect the car. Yeah. Um, but we're allowed to cue it. So I just feel like in these sports, unless you design the sport and everybody's free to do that, you're not going to agree with every single aspect and like every single aspect of the sport. So just get over it, teach it to the dog, get through that hurdle and prove that you can do it. Because in America, is it seven people have passed in three years? Your uh, SR test? Yes, seven, seven, if I'm remembering correctly, seven people have passed in three years. Those are rookie numbers, bro. You got to pump up those numbers. Yes. <laughs> Fucking meme culture. Yes, yes. fam. It took, me, it took me three times to pass the test with my dog, which is not, you know what I mean? Like what we're talking about now is not that, that's not that great. But that dog's a moron. Like, that dog's a piece of shit idiot. You know what I mean? Like, that was my, my other, I, like, at the time had six dogs. Like, all of them passed.
all of them pass first run through except my one idiot dog. And I had to do two retakes with him, but like the rest of my dogs, like the, like that's a bad sounding thing. Like it took my, I'm a trainer and it took my own personal dog three attempts over for, for, for great. My five of the other dogs were like, Hey, you want to run it real? I could ask somebody else. I didn't even do it. I was like, Hey bro, run my dog through this. They're like, cool. What's his word for middle? Just fucking say in boom. It's like my dogs pass. You know what I mean? It's not that it is simple. It shouldn't be that hard. I didn't design it to be hard. I designed it to be like a cool test, like mm. of like actual, like what I think the skills are that are important. But it turns out it's hard if you don't, it points out some holes in training. That's right. It's not a hard test. It's not a hard test. But what it does is it finds some holes in people's what, game. What are there's, some holes? there's guys that can, so the, the parts, so it's essentially there are aspects of liberty and there's aspects of, of, of obedience. So the people that have a thing where their dog's just super chill and can be no big deal, no problem, it's great. But they're usually, typically those people who have dogs that easily pass the liberty Just pieces. explain that, Jay, what, what you – So there's three aspects liberty. to the SR test. There's, there's three aspects. There's a leash a sensitivity portion, there's a verbal obedience portion, and then there's a liberty portion. The leash sensitivity thing is essentially another liberty period uh, with this restriction of this uh, perimeter. So if you have four foot of leash, they have a four foot perimeter. The ideal picture is that they are at liberty inside that four foot perimeter. They're responsible for their own tangles. So you don't have a rude dog walking circles around somebody that you're greeting and getting tangled up, tripping over stop signs and stuff. So they're supposed to manage their own leash and uh, respect the perimeter that you give them, right? <clears throat> now, you can use obedience to get through it if you need to. You can use verbal stuff to get through it if you need to because that's the social, socially responsible thing. If I have a shitty dog, I might ask him to sit when I greet you because he needs a little extra help with it. That's fine. You can do it, but you lose points because the ideal picture is a dog that just knows what the fuck to do and be chill at liberty on a leash, right? Then there's a liberty section where they're literally just hanging out on a long line, no instruction. So it's to see that they know how to be chill without any sort of direction, right? And then the verbal obedience section is more traditional single command verbal obedience. The people whose dogs are easy peasy on sections one and three usually blow at section two. Like their dog's chill and you're like middle and the dog's like, nah, I'm chill. And you're like, well, fuck, you failed. You know what I mean? <laughs> and the dogs that are like Johnny on the spot, they go down and the dog goes boom and downs come. They bang in front. They're like, you're free. And the dog goes, just runs stupid circles and they fail. You know what I mean? So it's like it's really apparently difficult because people that train good obedience generally don't train good liberty skills. And people that train good liberty skills generally don't train good obedience skills. Mm. And that's just an interesting hole. It's like that's a that's a that's a conundrum. I think that goes back to what you were saying about with Bart, how uh, the obedience versus the fun stuff, you know? Yeah. yeah well, what, I mean, Bart says that his eloquence in that that sentence is much better than the way I put it, but he talks about um, people who do dances with dogs and because they're, they, they can make it look so good because the dog's actually having fun. And that's what people ha haven't lost the art of in, in doggy dancing is they're having fun with their dog until they get on a trial field. And when they get on the trial field, they make so much of it serious that the dog goes, fuck, this is terrible. You know, like I'm under duress this whole time. And when you watch somebody who is really successful in competitive work, 
and some of these people in IPO and other bite sports that do have the dog jumping out of its skin to work, it's because they've made it fun for the dog. Like the dog can see the benefit of why it's doing the behavior. So it's still fun for those dogs. But if you go and watch some of the dogs in, I won't name the, the institution that does it, but if you go and watch those dogs, they're so flat. And they're encouraged to be flat because the institution basically says, hand me your dog while it's on the field. We don't want to see a dog that's jumping around and having too much fun by your side. We want to see a dog that's pulled into line. It's an old school that's 60 years ago. You know, they wrote the book 60, 70 years ago and they haven't modified it much since that time. It's, that's not the way it should be. But so to sort of close out my feelings on that SR test, and it, SR stands for social responsibility. It's super cool, but there is an element of training to it. So a lot of people, like in Australia, we had some really good dog trainers with their dogs, not passed because they just didn't have the core, like an exercise. And in two weeks, they would have passed because they would have known the exercise. It's just that they they got shown the walkthrough and then did it. I was lucky that I got the walkthrough a week earlier and then put it on my dog. But like I failed with Remy. Uh, because he didn't have a front finish. He had a front guard, which I, I thought, I'll try it out. And, <laughs> and then he nearly bit me, jumped up, and I was like, okay. But there's an element of training. Like the idea is to test whether the dog's socially responsible. Right after I failed, like literally an hour later, we're packing up. There's a bunch of guys turning up to train on the same field with their football gear. There's kids, there's other dogs and whatever. Me and Jay are at the car and I open the box and I'm like, off you go, go like, go empty out and the dog is running around doing his own thing. No leash, no, no collars, no nothing. And Jay's like, oh shit, like that is a socially responsible dog, but he just failed the test. So of course there's an element of training. There, there's a part that you have to put into the dog. And that's, I think, where people have gotten, well, dog trainers appear to seem to me to have just gotten a bit lazy. Like they're like, no, I've got this flat dog. It, it does everything I need it to. Well, so that's the problem. Mm. We're running out of it's potato farming at this point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but I think Mike Ellis has been talking about that forever and yeah. how hard he pushes for cross training because the dogs that are going to come out of Schutzend or IPO are going to look very, very different than the dogs that are going to come out of a ring sport program. Just look at the difference in healing. You know, you see some of these people, their dogs, they only have to heal for this like relatively short period of time on an IPO field comparative to a dog that's out for 40 minutes at a time. Yeah. This incredibly bouncing, passionate, barking, sometimes just super crisp heel is just a tremendous amount of wasted energy out on the yeah. field when somebody is going to be doing a really long program and now your dog is going to be physically fought in a, by a, a person wearing a protective suit. Yeah. So, you know, I think being able to, to give somebody who doesn't want or need or wants to be nowhere near and they want their doggies to be nowhere near dudes like us wearing a suit like shaking shit at their dog like mm -hmm. threateningly creating conflict in a way that seems like uh, i think that dog would hurt somebody on the street to have an application for that i think is huge yeah and so you know emma was talking about barn hunt i think that's also huge yeah, yeah. you know but the dogs that are coming out of barn hunt are not going to be anything like the dogs that patrick burns is literally like letting go down a hole and he digs them out those dogs are going to be very different talk about different that dogs. what's that leading to that like what's who's patrick burns oh patrick burns he is a fucking crazy person and um the terrier man he told us yeah. about oh, yes. 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 Yeah, yeah. yes um i'm yes. a big fan of that dude but a legit crazy person yeah and, and i mean that yep. only love I, rem yeah. I remember um but yeah he he's been hunting terriers for a ridiculously long time just out in the field 
I hope we don't get a message off him one day saying, hey, I resent being called yeah, a fucking you, crazy would person. Would, she would, I would, <laughs> he would tell you. <laughs> yeah, he's a crazy person. Yeah, no, no, he's an intense human being. Yeah. He yeah. with terriers. He doesn't hunt terriers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. Uh, he he doesn't important. like them? He doesn't hunt terriers. He hunts with terriers. Oh, yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. Yeah. Terriers running across the field. Uh, uh, it's an important, important distinction from yeah. Chad Mack yeah, yeah, and Grammar yeah. Man. Um, so, yeah, no, he's, uh, <laughs> he's the guy who got me into terriers really passionate about it but those you know uh tyler and i met him i sent him a, an email i was just like hey, it's a long shot but i'm gonna be in virginia for this bart Ballone seminar so let me let me shoot him a message because he says he lives in virginia maybe we can meet up and uh i sent him an email said hey patrick i've been following your your blog for a long time It'd be awesome if we could come out and see what your dogs do in the field and he said yes 100 percent. meet me at this place at this time and I'll see you there. So Tyler and I drove down from Buffalo. We slept in the parking lot of this little corner store. And uh, he showed up right on time, opened up uh, his truck, and he had these little, like, shaking, bouncing crates of Jack Russells. And uh, he just gave us a rundown of the rules. Just rule number one, don't lose my fucking dog. Rule number two, do not lose my fucking dog. Did he start Fight Club for dogs? <laughs> yeah. uh, th like, that's all he said. But then it became apparent why he said it, because he had absolutely no control over the animal whatsoever. When he got to the field- He wasn't he, wearing a wife beater or anything yeah. like that? Or? No, he's a lawyer. <laughs> he, he, uh, he lets his dogs out of the crate, and they just took off screaming into the distance. And he's like, let's go. Don't lose the dog. Yeah. So had no ability to call him away- like, hey, don't do that anymore. Just one a feral, wild animal. Mm. But Works that's a him. different dog that you get from barn hunt, you know? So I, I just yep. think those sports are going to select for different properties. Mm. Everybody has this Everybody has this hypothetical person. The reason I made the thing is because there's that 75-year-old lady with the hip replacement who has the 75-pound fucking dog. And you know what I mean? Like, I'm, everybody go, oh, man, play tug. Give the dog an outlet. Yeah. First of all, who gave that fucking Of course. I mean, what the fuck, right? But like, but the problem is everybody's like, give the dog an outlet. Yeah. And I'm like, dude, tug. And everybody's like, oh, tug. Get it to that dog needs a tug or whatever. And she's like, she can barely fucking walk. How's she going to play tug? And I'm like, dude, you know what I mean? Not, not only can she not play with the dog in a way that would be fulfilling to the dog herself, but she also likely is not going to take him to the local bite sport club probably because just sheer laziness. Another reason would be probably it's just weird and overwhelming. And she's like, it's a new social group and stuff. And then it's like, she probably is going to disagree with the idea of him biting a human shaped toy. And then it's like, she's not going to do anything. That dog's life is going to be a, a giant bag of poop. But then it's like, if you can say, look, you know, he likes to play with the tuggy toys. We can just hang it on a thing. And then she's like, Oh, now the dog's going to have a better life, which is awesome. And if I can sell her on the idea of it as a sport, now the dog has to out and down and recall off of a bite. Like, dude, that's real training. Like, if I can talk her into that, dude, she'll be able to take her dog out in public because when he sees a bike and goes, bicycle, she can go come and he'll fucking listen because he's been trained to come away from drive objects. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. That was the whole point because it's like there's those people that – there's really inappropriate matches. Like I hear Pat talk about like he wants to be the dog. The dog allocator. Czar. Yeah, allocator, right? It's like there's people that have dogs they really have no business having. And in my mind, like I, the sport is to catch those people because mm. they're like, what do I do with this dog? I'm like, just bring him to club practice and I will help you because you have too much dog and I'm going to help you with that. Something else that uh, I had a, a really 
cool conversation with Mike Ellis once where we talked about uh, just how important he thought it was for pet dog trainers to spend some time training with sport clubs because what they do is almost like going to a jujitsu class. Like we're going to do 60 fucking reps of this behavior and then you're going to watch another dude do 60 reps and then another one and another one. You see this picture so many times. It becomes harder to do it incorrectly than to do it correctly. And I think whatever sport you get into, French ring, Mondio, PSA, Schutzen, GRC, it does not matter what the sport is. If you're giving a handler and dog team the opportunity to practice those drills that are based around whatever set of rules we've decided to, to go with for that sport, it's going to make them better in ways they couldn't anticipate. Yeah. They're, they're going to have an opportunity to improve their control and improve their relationship because you're spending a ridiculous amount of time doing it and you're just getting tons of reps. It doesn't matter what the sport is, I think. It's just... Yeah, and the, the core ethos of all those sports is the same. Drive expression with control. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's it. Yeah. That's all yeah. you're doing with no matter what the brand of sport, it's the same shit. Drive yes. expression with control. Mm. Retrieving, they express the drive of retrieving. Bite sports, biting, but now you got to heal, now you got to call off. You know, all the good ones have that. GRC, <laughs> out off the pole, down. It's well, just, that's, that's like yeah. the reason that we did it because all of the sports that I... I saw this amazing value in all these sports when I watch people like <laughs> Ivan, you know, train Michael Ellison, these guys like doing PSA and stuff. It's like, when you see those people training, you can't not see the value of the level of training that it goes into being able to put controls on that kind of drive expression. Like that's like you, you see it and you just go, damn, that's fucking impressive, right? Yeah. And all the sports that I grew up in with dogs were all expression. There's literally no control. Like run up the wall, catch your dog, break stick the toy out of his face. You know what I mean? Like water ski the dog out, hook him up to a cart, let go catch him before he leaves the arena, pick him up, carry him back to the car. There's no control. And it's like, I love the sports I grew up with because of their drive expression qualities, but there's no control. And then it's when everybody was like, when I see the impressive benefits of putting control on drive expression, everybody's answer is go join one of those sports. And I'm like, fuck, man, I want to do mine. Yeah. But that's the thing. Like what he's saying is the entire point. It doesn't matter what flavor the drive expression is because different dogs are going to be attracted to different methods of drive expression. What matters is that you build the teamwork necessary to put controls on the expression of the drive. That's where all the benefits come from. Yeah. I think, you know, building those skills. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. hundred percent. And if we can just get more people using a treadmill for training, that would make me happy also. <laughs> right. Yeah. What, why yeah. is that? So why is that such an underutilized fucking tool? Well, people just don't know. They just don't know. Yeah. <laughs> a thousand dollar entry model for the <laughs> Yeah. That's a, that's a pretty, it's a pretty very good entry, but they don't, they don't see the benefit. Like, yeah. Until I met Jay, until I saw Jay, he sent me videos. I didn't see the benefit of it either. Yeah. And then when you see a dog just running on one of those mills, just joyfully just running and it's so, they're so happy and yet it's so effective. Yeah. Like it's such a great thing, but until you see it, you really can't understand it. And then there's the stigma of dog fighting that goes along with them. Yeah. You put a pit bull on a slap mill and people like, like comment on your video. Oh my God, these dogs are being trained to fight. Like I, I saw somebody put a video of a dog's running on slap mills uh, somewhere like, and the animal rights guys, 
or, or girls or whatever went on there and they were just they were just bagging on how cruel it was how cruel yeah. it was and how inhumane it was but i think a lot of people see those videos and they think those are powered mills yeah and the dog yeah. has to run yeah, that's or he's right. get choked so it's, it's education i think uh, uh jay has taken this this piece of equipment that is you know ubiquitous with dog fighting unfortunately because those guys knew how to condition a dog and how to build drive like that was their whole thing yeah and so he's taken it he's taken it and put it into a a humane and honorable and beneficial way as opposed to what the uh you know what it's supposed to preparing the dog to do something that's distasteful or, or you know abusive but using it to help them ex full, fully express themselves and that's something that that's something that I think is really to his credit, and it's something that dog trainers are going, oh, wow, shit, I didn't know you could do that. And it's just exciting. It's well, exciting for me. You're the only other person I've ever seen use it for training. Yeah, well, that's it's all from – it's a, it's like the cornerstone of the, the school. Yeah, that's crazy. I had no idea until I saw you. I remember going like – Yeah, and I it's funny. I made some shit up. cracks me up because – we had him in the army. That's where I first saw him. Yeah. And literally all we used him for was... Exercising while, dogs. Yeah, while, while you were cleaning out a dog's kennel. And it was just for if someone else's dog was away. And so, so if the handler was away, you bring his dog out, put the... Or if you were doing kennels on the weekend, bring the dog out, put him on the mill. We had a sleeve hanging in front of the mill. And while you clean the, the shit out of his kennel, you, like say it's a five-minute clean... He's sprinting for five minutes, take him off. That's him. He's done for the day. He goes away. And they maintain real good condition doing that. They stay in good shape. You can really exercise a dog. We had this one dog, Chevy, who got banned from the mill. I think I told you because he, he went ballistic. And to get him off, we had, we had to have a stick, like like a catcher's pole sort of thing to get him off because he'd try to bite you if you got it, as you get him off. He was like, I, I love the mill. Well, wasn't uh, one of Barton or Michael's dogs the same way? Like pretty edgy about getting on the mill, like demanding to get on it? And, um, and do I don't work? know. I don't know. I haven't heard that story but um they they i mean it's a cornerstone of all their work and, and like literally if you watch the enthor videos the first behavior enthor learns is to walk backwards on the mill which one enthor one enthor one if you mm. watch those videos though the first thing he actually learns that is a a behavior like a taught thing put yep. on command is to walk backwards <laughs> on the mill mm. and the mill is like especially if you're training alone and in limited space the amount of training applications you can use for it is insane you can do all Again, that's the hypothetical people are like, dude, I can't do all this cool stuff because yeah. I live in an apartment. I'm like, okay. yeah. And so, like, you know, just an example, my dog. Because I do most of the decoy work at the club, although now Jazz is taking that mantle. No one at the club ever saw him doing any targeting sessions because I taught him that in my garage. Like, and doing a courage test, I can get him running full steam because I can stand there in front of him with my suit on yeah. and I've got a, a gauge. I know how fast he's going. Yeah. So I, I get to reward him at the peak. There's no – the issue with like when you send a dog downfield – is when he arrives at the decoy, he gets rewarded. Just that's it. Whether he was trotting or sprinting, he gets the reward no matter what. Now I get to stand there in front and look at the gauge and go, okay, 37 kilometers an hour. That's the reward point. Bang, here it, here have it. The thing is like you can actually do like gas pedal type stuff. Yeah. Like when you slow down, I back up. Yeah, yeah, totally. The speed of the mill brings the reward. Yeah, closer. yeah. Like you can, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, and it's just in my garage by myself. Yeah. So it's, but it's I mean, even if you if you remember Esther talking about this when she was talking about dogs working on dumbbells, like her and Hans uh, Hans Ebers and Esther Schalk, when the dog is working on the dumbbell, she'll put her hand under the jaw of the dog, and when she can actually feel the dog like compressing the dumbbell, 
that's when she'll reward the dog. So she'll actually feel muscle compression. And right at that point, that's when she'll click the dog and reward the dog on that point. So they're paying attention to the finite detail of what the dog is doing. All of that, like Bart's knowledge, their knowledge, and knowledge of people, your knowledges, the people in this room, like the things that you guys have paid that little extra attention to dog behavior, they're the things that take people from, from a realm of being good to greatness. Awesome. If you can use it in an application. And, and that's the power of that indirect reward as well. This is probably one of the reasons why the doc dog people won't return my calls. Is because when, <laughs> when I decided I want to get into that, I had one of the girls that's into it. I, I met with her and asked her about it, right? And I was like, how do you train? They throw the thing into the pool. And I was like, hang on, you throw the toy into the pool and the dog gets it. Yeah, we get him excited about the toy and he jumps in. And I was like, uh-uh, I'm not doing that. I'm making a hurdle in the pool, in the water, and you're going to have to jump that hurdle that I control the distance and height of in order to get the reward that I have in my hand and I'll throw that into the water afterwards. It's the indirect reward. Why would you do that? Because... If I throw it in and you chase it in, whether you just trot and dribble and fall into the pool, same, you same still diff. get the reward. Mm. Whereas if you jump as high and far as you can, and and that's how I train. Mm. And they didn't call me back when well, I. <laughs> how how <laughs> dare you buck the institution, <laughs> sir? What I was going to say was this with the with mill stuff, right? Like you can use mills, uh, like you're talking about, where people don't realize the run itself can be a reward. Yeah. For dogs that love to sprint, like Val, you know what I mean. The yeah. run itself can be a reward. So the reward does. They're like, oh, you know, my dog doesn't like to bite, and my dog doesn't have food drive, and they're like, does the dog like to run? Because if they like to run, you can you, you can train behaviors on the mill and use the run as the the reward of it mm. for the thing. But the thing that nobody thinks about is using it in behavior modification. Like people train skills and drive expression, but they're not using it like I'll use it for extinction. Because most of the time when you use when you try to do extinction with a dog, there's the app, uh, there's the aspect of like they're in a muzzle or you're in a suit or they're blocked or they're on a leash. So there's the frustration of either the physical blockage that prevents them from getting to target or there's the frustration of having to hold the position right against their will. Like they're like, fuck, I don't want to do this. Mm. Did I put them on a mill? And it's like letting a kid throw a temper tantrum. Yeah. I put them on the mill and I'll like, do this all the time. Like I'll take a dog that's like dog aggressive on site, like flips the fuck out. I put them on the mill and I train this dog in front of them and we're ignoring you. And you see them like they go bananas and they're eyeballing, they're staring at it. And after like two or three minutes, they'll do the thing where they're like, oh, and they look away and they slow their trot. And then they'll look back and remember it and go, oh, you're still here. And they'll run. And then that cycles down until after like four or five minutes, they're trotting. And it's not because they're just too exhausted to trip out. It's because there's no result. It's like nobody cares. Nothing's happening. Throw your little fucking temper tantrum. Nobody gives a shit. Mm. And then the next time you put them on the mill, they're like, maybe they run a little faster and then they stop. And then after like two or three sessions, you put them on the mill and they just trot and they're checking all this other shit out and the dog's kind of inconsequential. It's so much easier to take that dog and ask them to do work around that dog because their baseline response to the dog is not, motherfucker. It's like, eh, whatever, it's you. Yeah. You know what I mean? But Perfect. there's no conflict. Mm. And you can flip out if you want. It doesn't matter. Yeah. And the mills are becoming more commonplace. I'm just, and I'm glad that that's happening mm. because people are starting to show their value. Like, you know, I have my one. Glenn has one out at Pet Resorts they use for stuff. And, and everybody's welcome to use it. Like, it's a communal thing. Like, if people are there, they're welcome to jump on it. Like, if there's a seminar and people want to experience mill work, yeah. it's there for them to be to And be even used. the girls at the daycare, um, the Hound Lounge, where, Chad, you did that seminar, they have a mill right there. Uh, and in the daycare, yeah, it's perfect. You get a dog just who wants to blast off and be an asshole. 
go go for it man yeah. take five minutes of go mental get that out of your system instead of like doing the zoomies dangerously and revving up all the other dogs and yeah. causing disturbance jump on in the, the place so get on the mill go crazy I, I turned Amy Sadler who does uh, uh, socialization stuff with her dogs in shelters I turned her onto the mill as a kind of a bridge the gap between no contact and then just a, a loose socialization so she'll take a mill she has a slap mill now on the outside of her fence line take a dog put him there he goes bananas and runs the dogs all come and look at him and then you have a chance to show the dogs like hey look go away don't worry about this dog that dog gets to see you escort the other dogs away realizes you have control realizes when the dogs come up they're not going to just push in and then once he doesn't really give a shit about them they don't really give a shit about him you put the mill inside the fence he's in the thing they can come up and sniff and it gives him a chance and he can go ah and freak out and we can go, no, and then push the other dogs. You know what I mean? And yeah. then it's like, but he can't get to them. And if you're watching the mill and they listen to you, they can't get to him. And he can be in the social yard yeah. and move and be active. And when he starts like running gently all the time from the moment he gets there and all the other dogs are like, look, it's Larry. Who gives a fuck? Yeah. Then yeah. it's like now we have a much better chance with that dog running loose. You're still going to have to deal with it, but it's so much better than just like, what the fuck's happening? Well, I think the advantage too, because like when Jay first came up with this idea, like for rehabilitation, he was using a carpet mill, which isn't quite the same thing. It's a little bit of resistance. Yeah. But he, he, I remember he called me. I still remember having that phone conversation. I was going, oh my God, that's brilliant. But the, the thing about it that's so cool about it is that normally when a dog blows up at another dog and starts charging, we have to restrain them for safety. We can't let them get to the other dog, right? So we restrain them for safety. Well, what does restraint do? It increases frustration, which increases drive, which makes them more aggressive. So this is this feedback loop. And the mill, while the dog is physically restrained on the mill, they don't feel restrained. Mm. They're running as fast as they can. There's an they're, not, they're not feeling, they don't hit the end of the line because they can't, right? They run as fast as they can. They feel like they're completely free. And so that helps them express that i want to go kill you i want to go get to you or whatever without that feedback loop happening and that's what that's what allows it to yeah well that's the funny thing i was going to say when all the people who get upset about mills because they see a dog going mac 10 and they're like you're trying to kill that dog look how fast it's going you go no no that is what a dog is capable of doing you've just never seen it yes. that's and and you see that with a dog especially but you do on that, the field when the dog's after another dog. Yeah, that's right. And mm. you're, stop, stop, stop. And yeah. you're crushing everything. So that dog, this is why I say like people, because people come over to my house, they're on the mill for the first time. And it's never pretty. The dog freaks out. The ground's moving underneath. It takes 10 minutes to get the dog going. But once there's always a moment where that dog goes, holy fuck, I can run as fast as I want for as long as I want and nobody's going to stop me. And you see that like switch in their mind and they just go fucking ballistic, like zing, and keep going. Let me just say to that, like people who are, people who are getting edgy yeah. about that, getting into the back of the car is a problem. Getting on a vet table is a problem. So let's not focus on something that is going to be, you know, like minutes in the day of solving the yeah, problem. Yeah, let's figure it out. Let's figure it out. I've just, I've never seen... To this date now, I know there's going to be some, like one of the drawbacks to this GRC sport that Jay and I have talked about is that as soon as the bigger it gets, the more people are going to sort of go for the, go for the points, but ignore the point, right? They'll go for points, but ignore the point. And what's going to happen is like, right. But right now I have, I have never seen a dog on a mill running who wasn't having the time of their life. I've yeah. never seen a dog like, oh fuck, I got to do this. Like they're like, yeah, let me do this. Let me do this. Now, I mean, I suppose you could 
put a dog on a mill and start frying with an e-collar until they run and and and, well, and, de- and develop a score like that but the point is is that right now when in this room and the people that i've seen here and i was i've seen more more mills and I've, i saw more mills in australia than i have seen in my entire life before I got there, right? Like literally, like like in that month, I saw three mills. I'd only seen one mill in person before. That was at Jay's place, and and but it's becoming it's becoming popular. Like like it's starting to spread. It's starting to spread. But I have never seen an unhappy dog on a mill. That will change. That will I absolutely that will change. There will be people who are going to go. I'm going to pressure you to do this because they won't take the time to do what Pat's talking about. And by the way, at at, at your place, Glenn, uh, Jay was working a dog. Scared and and the watching him work that scared dog on the mill was a thing of beauty too like just the, just the, the patience and the tolerance the understanding it was really really quite amazing like like i'm I, I i'm so lucky that i have that i saw that at this point in my career where i have the eyes to see what he was doing because five years ago i said i was like this is boring i don't know what the hell he's doing like it's just like but now i can look at it, go wow look at the subtlety of that. that's it's really cool. really cool yeah yeah that's pretty cool yeah well it's a it's also a cool way it looks like such a simple device. It's a free turning mill. You put the dog on it. Everybody's like, whatever. But there's so much to it. Like the people get to learn to talk about timing of effort because people invariably just make the same sound. They go, oh, puppy, 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 puppy. And I'm like, why are you yelling? He's not running. You know what I mean? Like you encourage them, support them. But then when they move, when they make it move, that's when you go, good job. Like you mark, mm. you can teach people about marks. You can teach people about support. You can teach people about modulating their response based on the effort level of the dog. And like that shit's hard to teach, but the mill is like, look, let's just directly do this one fuck thing like let's get to the issue with this uh so i gotta be the buzzkill as much as i love talking meals and i could talk about it forever there's two still two people in the room that we want to hear from so byron you're in the hot seat bro get up here so we're mixing it up again welcome onto the show in the hot seat in the hot seat is it byron flores yes flores flores i like that name Yes, Byron Flores. Welcome your, to the show. And your business name. Tell us who you are. What? Tell us about your business. Tell you about my business. Okay, so I'm from New Jersey. I'm, you know, up north, and um, I live in Bloomfield, New Jersey, twelve and a half miles west from New York City. So say coffee for me. Coffee. Would you like some coffee? <laughs> and a slice of pizza. Some pizza. Hey, I'm walking here. All right, I didn't come to do the Sopranos show. <laughs> <laughs> no, so. Um, I've been working with dogs since 2005. I originally left the corp- corporate America pharmaceutical industry. Uh, I started walking dogs, and my that's where my 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 training started developing from working taking dogs that um from I, I live in suburbia and I live in a very uh, affluent place and most of the dogs that were problematic most of the dog the dog walkers did not want to walk those dogs so I was the one walking these dogs that were the high drive um, human aggressive dog aggressives reactive to dogs um, they would UPS trucks would pass by they would launch a truck so I was the one that was pretty much walking these dogs and kept them on, and under under control 
that's when I found out that something about me in the relationship that I have with these dogs, they respect me. So I was able to help a lot of these dogs and the owners uh, were very taken back and impressed with other things I was doing. But um, I know that there was a limit to that, the things that I can do, and I needed to seek more understanding and knowledge. I started picking up books, and during that time, there was uh, the Dog Whisperer show with Cesar Milan, and I think he kind of has influenced many of us in our path. He's done a lot of great work, and uh, in 2009, I met Cesar in Manhattan. He had a private, private, a private party, and... Um, I happened to just walk into through this uh, red velvet and I, they thought I was his brother or family. <laughs> <laughs> How know. racist of them. No. Yeah, right. <laughs> so this really big um, bouncer was there and he was like, carnal, come through. I was like, oh, I have these two uh, Americans with me. Are they okay? They're like, yeah, yeah, bring them through. I was like, so we went upstairs into a lounge and then his wife and his kids were there then we just started talking and then caesar came and at the moment i expressed how i felt about dogs and what my perspective in life was about dogs because i had left the pharmaceutical industry and doing um, what tell, tell me about that just quickly i what worked doing pretty much i used to advertise drugs legally for the government. <laughs> yeah, I'm very proud of that. So it was a very, very stressful job. So I got to the office at 8 in the morning. I did not know what time I was going to get home. You know, it could be 2, 3 in the morning. Uh, this was Monday to Friday. When I left that industry, um, at the time I was with a lady who she had left Wall Street and she started walking dogs. She started picking up um, business. And then when I left, I took over the dog walking business. And from there, my development started. And then and Caesar invited me over to California, and that's when I pretty much I learned about myself and dogs. Then from there on, I started doing workshops, and then my um, I did a workshop with Tyler and Blake. It was um, a dream come true uh, from Dream Come True Canine, Blake Rodriguez and Tyler Muto from Buffalo Canine Training, and. Um, we did, uh, I did one of their workshops and that's where I met Josh and I started meeting other people. And this opened up doors be to uh, pretty much become the, the person that I'm becoming as a professional dog trainer. They, and Josh that just left, he's one of my mentors. He mm -hmm. actually, Josh came down to New Jersey to my place, spent some quality time to pretty much just uh, learning. And he worked with my clients and pretty much worked with and saw the work that I'm doing. And I'm pretty much it was just more of a confidence and built it for me and pretty much influenced me in a lot of things that um, that I did not know. So that's why I'm here. And then he also pushed me like he did. He did. He told me about ICP and the summer that he came down, pretty much I signed up. It was just in two years ago and the one in California. This is my second um, conference, and I'm having a really, really fantastic time meeting amazing people. And I, I'm really, really. Um, and the first one I met Alex Edwards, and ever since then it was just pretty much just like a a, a love for a brother from another mother. Mm -hmm. You know, not only Alex but many of you. Mm. You know, Jay Jack uh, with Chad throughout the throughout the years. Pretty much um, just meeting all these great people and going to these workshops. It's just for development, and and you take what you learn from there and you put it practice with those dogs and then you're yourself get yourself blown away and it builds your confidence as well the networking potential the, for these seminars is just fantastic like the people that you the quality and the integrity of people you meet here like it is a world standard yes you indeed. know like there's some of the most amazing dog trainers as a whole at this place and that that is a great thing 
you know, like you've got these guys, like just in the room now, we've had some amazing international talent. Indeed. You know, I mean, just put these guys together and, and add Bart Bell into that and that is a mind fuck right there. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, for most people, that's just a, a complete brain explosion no, to have that, those, those people in the room together. It is an honor for me to be here today and thank you for inviting me to of your course, buddy. podcast, man. You know, mm. um, it was great to welcome you and to see you when we met a few days ago about last week. And yeah, Josh was really excited about us meeting. Like he sent me a message saying, look, you know, um, Justin and I can't be at the – at the resort till Saturday, he said, my man Byron's going to be there. And he said, make sure you hook up with him. He's my brother. And uh, yeah, yeah, you're a good man. Thank you. And it's, I mean, look, it doesn't matter if you've been in this industry 30 years or you've been in here five years. What matters is what you've gained during your time. Like you can be, you can be a dog trainer for one year, but if you've had the, the right mentors and the right material, you're on a better path that someone's been doing it for 30 years, has studied poorly for six months and has still applied that application for the other 29 and a half years, you know? And that's the, that's the sad reality for a lot of people in this, not only this industry, but many industries, is that they live a lazy lifestyle where they've learned it one way, but never challenged themselves to become any better. They've never gone out to another place and they've never, they, they're too egocentric to go and actually pick up a good book or go and speak to other people. Like, I could not... I could not think of a better group of people that I could turn around and say, hey, I've got a problem. Can you guys give me a bit of advice on this? Like, GRC is his, yes. right? It's a radio show. Yeah. Glenn is pointing at JJ. GRC belongs to Jay. You know, and many of the things that I don't know about, I have to ask other people. Yes. I'm not proud to go over and ask them about their application of training. I'd rather them put me on the right path so I don't look like a complete fucking cock when I go out there to try and train my dog. Indeed. And I, and I look absolutely stupid because I haven't asked them the, the right type of material. You know, like, I mean, Pat introduced the mill to me. I hadn't used a mill before I mm. met Pat. So Pat was um, working with Bart and he, say, he was showing me the mill and he said, you know, like, this is, it's an evolution in training. Like we really should have a, have a good look at this. And I mean, I spoke to my boss about it and I said, I think we should actually buy one of these for the resort so mm. we can start utilizing in training and start using it for dogs that are coming into our daycare program and et cetera, et cetera. It has been a wonderful tool. You know, it's funny about that. I mean, we're back to talking about the mill, but I learned about the mill from Sam before I ever met Bart. And it's funny you say this new application training, everything old is new again, because when he, we made some money off of a deal and we didn't want to take it out as cash when I didn't want to pay tax on it. And I said, let's buy something. Fuck it. Like we've got a bunch of money. Let's buy something. And he goes, we'll get mills. We'll get, we'll get a mill each because they were expensive. And he goes, I'll teach you some old Belgian tricks on the mill. And our, so it's like everything old is new again. A lot of the stuff that he was showing me how to use the mill for is shit that his dad showed him like that he was doing fucking 40 years ago or more. You know what I yeah. mean? And new application in training literally when i got told about we're going to do some stuff on the mill he goes i'll teach you some old belgian tricks like and now it's like new and exciting but it's old belgian tricks it's a lot of the shit that i do that people are like that guy's an innovator i'm like that wasn't a book written in 1935 bro. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like wow yeah. you're a good innovative mind i'm yeah, like man. not really dude yeah, yeah. so everything <laughs> everything old is new again did, yeah 100 percent uh, but listening to um, you guys mention the mill, you know, I, I do 
pet training and privates and I do boarding trains and I have a dog mill, but it's not the ones that you guys are using right mm -hmm. now. I'm currently didn't want to want to invest in one of those, but I um, it doesn't change the the, it, the the concept doesn't change as when you um, when you were mentioning about earlier before how you teach a dog how you desensitize a dog you know to because there's a lot of dogs that come with a lot of fear based and i love using the treadmill because it, it, it really t teaches a dog to focus and to let go mm, yeah right so when i have other dogs that are pretty much calm around me i i love working with nervous dogs because this is where i build their confidence you know i pull out my my pull my treadmill line and i let just my dogs on a free dog let them just sniff around while i'm working with this dog well everything in training is incremental even desensitization yeah. And I mean, the problem that we have is that we're trying to rush through life so much that we don't realize that what we consider the right increment is actually too large for the dog at the time. So a lot of the times we actually need to shave it right back to get to the point where the dog can handle the increment, not what we believe is the right increment. It's always dictated by the dog, not by our own beliefs. Yes, indeed. That's why there are our teachers, though. That's why I'm a student of the dog. Indeed. Exactly. Yes. I hear that a lot from a lot of people here. I agree with that 100%. It's like that you learn so much from the dogs. The dogs are our teachers. And that's a real common theme. A lot of people saying that this last few days here. And it's so true. And I think anybody that can take that in and really heed that, just know that every dog you meet is going to teach you something new. And you, you take that knowledge, apply it to the next dog. Maybe it fits. Maybe it doesn't adapt. Move on. Yes. And one thing that I've noticed when yesterday we sat in a class and um, basically there were some exercises being performed. A lot of the dog trainers did not understand that the the teacher was what the teacher was saying is like you need to connect with the dog. You need to be self-aware. You need to be in the moment. She kept mentioning that over and then people were more concerned about if the dog was walking on a heel. No, it's not that. It's you. When you start falling into that lane and when you are becoming focused and center, you can close your eyes and walk and the dog is going to follow. Simple as that. You know, it's about you. It's not the dog. When we are self-aware and when you're connected, you're going to feel something from the dog. Yeah, but it comes from you. Well, the dog is always a product of its environment. Yes. All the time. The dog will do what it learns to do. Otherwise, it'll just revert to dog behavior. See, a lot of times when I go and see clients, people, the first thing people say to me is, my dog is a badly behaved dog. And I said, your dog's not badly behaved. It's just behaving. It doesn't know any other way. It's doing what it knows how to do, what it's gotten away with doing. It's just behaving. That's what it's doing. What you need to do is shape behavior and create... See, there's a lot of people here that have started talking about the language process. What we need to do is develop the Rosetta Stone between us and the dog. The dog needs to actually come to a, like a point where the dog goes, I actually get what you're trying to tell me. And that's a fucking problem people don't create with their dogs. Is They're so hell-bent on being a fucking human. We've got this arrogance and this ego about us where we create this barrier between us and the dog where we don't allow the dog to actually know. But once we pull that barrier away and say, okay, you don't know anything and I expect you to come into my life, suit my lifestyle, you, you actually, you know, you've got, to, you've got to break it down for the dog. It's got to be incremental. Everything is incremental. Indeed. You got something to say? I was having a conversation with somebody just uh, this morning uh, about like what we assume our clients know. One of the issues that we run into is we assume our clients know things that they don't know and and she made the comment that she never assumes anything that she never assumes her clients know anything. And I told her, I basically, I don't believe that. Right. Like, for example, I had a guy come in for a meet and greet not that long ago. And he told, he was mad because his dog wouldn't heal. And I'm like, well, have you taught the dog to heal? 
He goes, no, I go to the park and I see people tell their dog to heal and the dog walks right beside them. <laughs> and I said, I said, but you have to teach that. And he went, what? So you have to teach the dog to do that. He goes, oh, I didn't know that. Like he somehow thought that the dog had pre-installed software that if you said heal, he would, the dog would know where that position was and, and do it. And that was an assumption I made. I assumed everybody knew that you have to teach the dogs to do things. Yeah. But at the reality is people do it all the time, even house training. Yeah. Like people assume their dog understands from birth that they're not supposed to pee in the but house. That's the problem, isn't it? It's assumption based. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. So so we do have these assumptions and we do like it's it's the worst it's the most insidious form of anthropomorphization, right? Where hmm. we go we go, oh and it's just the people who will rally against it, you know, you start talking about uh, uh, some complex thing. Oh, human, dogs can't do that. It's too complicated. That's way more complicated than being born knowing where to pee and not to pee. Or or when you tell somebody that their dog is territorial when they're on the walks, because but we're not on our property anymore. Like they assume the dog understands your deed restriction or your deed limits. Like these looked at the looked at the the plot survey. Said, okay, this is where my deed ends. This is where my property ends. And the guy next door, he's okay because that's not my turf. No, if I pee on it, I own it. Right. That's a huge anthropomorphic assumption that the dog understands that. Right. It just reminded me of my um my world's favorite person, Katrina Hartwell, when she said recently, <laughs> she goes um. The only thing I expect of my dogs is that they don't eat my offspring. <laughs> for everything I fucking do for them and the the amount of work we've put into them, breeding them selectively over the centuries, I just they just can't eat my offspring. She's <laughs> such an awesome person. <laughs> She's the best. Yeah. I legit love Katrina. She is the fucking best. When, when we talked about, was it you who was in the room before, George, when we talked about the concept of a dark horse? Yes. This, this lady, Katrina, who's a real Aussie, like she is, when you look at the epitome of an Aussie person, it's Katrina. She's out back. She's hardcore. Like she is legit. Mm. This lady is a gem. Like she is a, what we call a diamond in the rough. That, but a, a hard ass oh, but yeah, also time. would give you the shirt off her back. It's just yeah. that one she's of the She's a beautiful people. person. Really, really kind soul. I was at dinner with her and recently. funny as fuck too. I was at dinner recently with some people and she was talking about, um, what she expects of her kids. She's quite strict in the household and that the kids have to do this. They have all these chores. They live in a remote area, right? Like everybody has to put in. And someone said to her, so how do you, like, how would you punish these kids? Like what, you know, if they don't do that, like they know they have to, but if they don't, what, what happens? And she goes, well, you know, we have a family playlist, so maybe their song gets taken out of the playlist. (laughs) Like her daughter. It's like, yeah, that's one of the worst punishments you can get. Right, so it's not like she's a hard ass who's bashing her kids. But like she figured it out. What yeah, she's got it. She's like, this about. is this will upset you. Mm. Everybody, every every week they make a family playlist of music that they have going in the car. And when you live in outback Australia, you're in the fucking car for some time, right? Like that's, <laughs> and everybody gets to add three songs to the playlist. And if you don't do your chores, your songs are out of the fucking playlist, right? And that's uh, and her daughter who was at dinner with us is like, yeah, that's that's one of the worst ones you can get. You don't want that, right? <laughs> so when she's talking about all the shit her kids do, it's not like it's it's not by hook or by crook, you know what I mean? It's like it's not like she's beating them into it. Geez, I tell you what, I gotta I gotta say that that really impresses me heaps. When when somebody really figures out what reinforcement and punishment is and they use that application appropriately, regardless of whatever you're training, that is very impressive. Yeah, she's the That's best. really impressive. Well, and you can do it on that level where you can you don't even have to raise a hand and yet you can still get that outcome yeah. I'm, I'm really Mate, the I'm best, flawed over the that the best thing she- <laughs> well, Katrina I know you've been listening I love you so much she says one day about how um, her kids aren't allowed to drive a car till they're five 
right? Uh. And, uh, <laughs> and then uh, she's talking about how a five-year-old saw the police down the street from where their house was and jumped in the car to go show the police how good he could drive, right? Oh. <laughs> what do you say? So they had to run him off the road before he actually made it to the real road where he could be in trouble for driving on the road. And I was like, at five, so... I thought you said he could start driving the car at five. Like, how was it when he turned five, he was excited to show the police that he could drive the car? She goes, oh, they're allowed to drive the Bobcat at three. (laughs) (laughs) So at three years old, the kids are allowed to drive the Bobcat. And I'm like, why the Bobcat? She goes, well, it doesn't go fast. And it's a fucking, it's in a whole roll cage. Like, you're not going to hurt, you're not going to drive fast enough to hurt yourself in anything. And you're completely protected in the roll cage of the Bobcat. So at three years old, her kids are driving a, a Bobcat and they learn to drive in that. So by the time they're five, they're ready and raring to jump in the car. This is how much of a badass she is. Uh, and I might be butchering this story, but I'll give it a go anyway. But she was telling Pat and I a story about how her and her husband were getting ready to go out and she needed to butcher a cow. So she went out, cut its neck, butchered it, hung it, and like dism- started dismembering. And her husband's just sitting there with this like look of disgust on his face and go, the fuck did you just do? She said, well, all had to be done. I've got to do it. Let's go. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I think a woman like that. She's the best. She's awesome. I love her so much. I love you, Katrina. Yeah, yeah. She's pretty amazing. Good memes. Oh, she's the meme. (laughs) Pat had to block her on Facebook for a period of time just because he was killing himself over Katrina's memes. I was just spending too much time (laughs) fucking following all that shit on Facebook. I had to to have a time out from her. Anyway, Byron, this is about you, not Katrina. (laughs) Oh, yeah, right. So, uh, yeah, no. Uh, well, thank you for having me, man. I, it's a smaller group. It's great. I know everybody's uh, heading over to the race. It's going to happen very soon. Yeah. yeah. What time is it? It's 10 past. We've got time for Alex. We've got time for Alex. Yeah, we've got to make time for Alex. So well, Byron, thank you for coming on. Yeah, Byron, thank you, thank you very really much, buddy. How, do, how can people, if they want to find you, you'll yeah, give yourself a shout-out. Oh, okay, canine training with Byron is one whole word. Canine training with Byron.com. Is it letter, K and 9 or K9? K9? Yeah, letter K, number 9, training with Byron.com. And, and you're based in? I'm based in New Jersey, Bloomfield, New Jersey. And uh, just give me a shout. Look me up. And, and you're on Facebook. And I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. And, um, yeah, I have my own website. So if you're in, in New Jersey, go and hook up with Byron. Yeah, he's our man. Jersey, come he's out. our man in Jersey. Yes. I, I, you know, if you're coming out to New Jersey, coming out to somewhere in the city, hey, give me a shout. You could come and camp out with my police. Sounds good. Fantastic, buddy. I have to run the bathroom. Horny George is going to use my microphone while I'm gone. Fantastic. Thank you. Hey, howdy. Horny George here. Hey, Horny I, uh, George. also need to drop my social media. Yes, You please. can find my website or my Instagram at George the Dog Trainer. On Instagram, just George the Dog Trainer. Mm-hmm. On like the internet, George the Dog Where you got the mic? How did you go with your hot date? Oh, it was lovely. Uh, she tried to set me up with a girl from the resort. She was a sweetheart, but it's girls' night, and I leave tomorrow, so ain't nothing going to go down. So it's not happening. I do. I really do, and I did my best to be professional. But man, comfort is key. Yeah. Jay J- Jax was pointed out that Horny George has got this top on that looks like it's a gym shirt on backwards, but it, it's, a, it's actually I think it's been designed for George that way, so he can um, he can flaunt that uh, that sexy little nipple look that's going on. You know what? Like we're rocking like. humidity here. Yeah, I'm I'm hearing you, bro. Yeah, I was was wearing t-shirts. I got a button up over it for when we're in sessions. You know, I'm saying professional podcast time. I've heard the shit you say. Like, (laughs) (laughs) I can have a nipple out. Yeah, you can. It's it's a nipple out kind of show. Won't be the first. Won't be the last. 
All right, so we'd like to welcome to the hot seat Alex Edwards, who is a legitimate son of Australia. Welcome, Alex. Yep, I'm Mel Burney, and thanks for having me, boys. You're welcome. Yeah, it's been a fun few days. Been catching up. Has been a fun stuff. So, so yeah. you, you're the you're probably the original Aussie that came to the ISCP. Uh, there's Alan. Alan, who you guys would have met. Um, she was at the I think it was her first Alan, conference yeah. actually. Yeah, that my first one, which was two years ago in Ontario, in California. Uh, I'm not sure about any other Aussies who've come over for it. So, yeah, so this I, is your third year in a row. Uh, no, I didn't come last year. Uh, no, he wasn't St. Louis. He was at um, LA. Yeah. Suntire is not too far from LA. So, so that's, yeah. that was when um, Josh sort of broke it to me. And he said, oh, look, you should go over. And uh, he was showing me pictures of you guys partying up in LA. Yeah. And um, all, he said, you know, we've, we've made heaps of connections over there. Um, and I didn't really know you that well. Yeah, uh, we'd met a few times along the line, but we never sort of had a chance to properly hang out and just get to know each other really hmm. um so yeah josh was the person also invited me um the first time he came out to australia we sort of hit it off and got a good bromance going on and um he i was talking to him i was thinking about doing a trip over and he's like if you come over come to conference it'll be sensational you'll love it um we did the rounds he introduced me to everyone like the best host that yep. you could have had for the first time around um drank a lot of beers had a lot of fun met a ton of really cool people um and yeah, like when I come over, I come over and I do a lot of things. And it was, that was the real sort of, I think that was the second thing I did when I came over last time, but it was a really good thing and enjoying the conference as well this year, getting to meet a whole heap of new people, different speakers, different things happening. So yeah, it's really good. Fantastic. With the Aussie invasion we've got going on this year. Yeah, it's been great, hasn't yeah, it? There's, there's, a lot of, there's, there's quite, quite a lot of people here. Yeah, we've got to be double figures for Aussies this year now. Yeah, I think we'd be close. Yeah. Um, so that conference in LA, was that when you went to Michael Ellis' school? Yes, yeah, so I started at Michael Ellis' school um, when I did some stuff with him and then I went down to the conference from there. Cool. Um, so yeah, that was a... Uh, definitely a highlight. Um, Michael's definitely one of the, the people that I've really um, found that their style suited the way that I wanted to push my training and everything mm -hmm. I wanted to do. And he has a way like he can put things that everyone can understand it. Oh, he's a hell of a teacher. Yeah, and he's yeah. got the patience of a saint. That, yeah. yeah. That's and what I found when I was there. I was like, yeah. this guy is one of the best um, – Orators, is that the correct word? Like explainer, yeah. Um, it, of of quite difficult concepts mm. and explainer of that, and to people who, um, he, I, I found in my class, I did the puppy development school, so yep. there were people who weren't dog trainers and weren't that into it, yep. and he was able to manipulate his language to suit them, yeah, but also not dumb it down so much that the dog trainers in the room were frustrated. Yeah, absolutely. Um, when you go to his school, you, it's like family. I went and caught up with Michael this time as well. Um. He, just after I flew in and yeah, you go in there and you run up and there's a great big bear hug and it's good mm -hmm. to catch up and it, it's a real good family there. Sarah Wysom's there. She's probably back there right now. Yeah. Actually. Yeah, she would, um, probably would be. Yeah, yeah. And I was telling her, you're going to have a blast of a time there because she was a little bit nervous. I'm like, no, it's you're going to love it. It'll be a good time for so you. So she's there doing the full immersion package, right? Like no, she's not, no she's not doing all that. So I think she did his level one obedience. Right. And I think she's doing detection or something like that with him as well whole sarah wysam gets around she does she's yeah. she's she's done some training schools <laughs> yeah but that's the type of person we're talking about is somebody who goes and explores everything it's not necessarily to say that she's lost in translation because she's training with so many people but she's on that exploration path of yeah what can i take away from everybody's teaching that i can combine for my own to make me a better educator and to give me a more fulfilled life with my own dog and for my clients as well. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. There is, a, an, I guess, an issue where I have where people can't 
develop their own identity after a period of time. Like they become so confused with all the teaching that when you listen to them, they sound confused about the type of training they're offering people. That's probably the only time I have a real issue with it is when I, I can, you can just see that they're chopping and changing, like they're leveling out between too many people. But when they kind of, when you see people who have taken the best of people and they can apply that application in a, in a condensed fashion that works for them, after a period of time, they become quite amazing because they've had such good groundings and very good foundations of what they're doing. There's nothing wrong with that. It's, it's, it's yeah. great. She, she'll pull it off and she'll do a great job because she has the intelligence to do that. It, it's one thing to to gather all these skills. It's another to keep them in the toolbox and know which tool to bring out instead yeah. of just yeah, flooding sure. and using every tool you have. And she's got the intelligence to pull that yeah. off. She'll do it for sure. And not necessarily intelligence. Like I find this with younger trainers I'm doing mentoring for and stuff like that. I tell them it's not necessarily about going to every single women, like workshop and seminar and everything like that. You're going to take in so much being a sponge that you can't absorb it and you won't understand how to relay the message off it. And then you're going to get yourself in a lot of problems because you're going to be five years in training dogs and not actually know what you're doing and yeah. not have a good flow because you're trying to take a piece of every pie, which is great to do, but you have to be able to absorb it and process it and, and filter it for what it is and, and yeah. work with it. If you can't do that, then you're sort of going to get in problems with it. Yeah, and have a time to play with it yeah. in, a, in a vacuum, you know? Yeah, and mm. trial and error things on your own dogs before you try and push it on someone else. Yeah. yeah. Hey, let's talk about your dogs. How many you got? Uh, so I'm down to three now, which is a little bit sad. So um, I lost one of my dogs, Storm, earlier this year. Literally Sorry weeks. to hear that, mate. Yeah, um, it was about two weeks after Josh lost his pity king and I mm. lived at Josh's house. Josh has lived at my house. and we I think ha- a few good dogs have gone this year. Yeah, unfortunately, there was a really horrid space there for a couple of months there where we just yeah. – you didn't want to look at Facebook because yeah. <laughs> almost someone's dog was going. Yeah, there's, there's – I think I know about a dozen people this year least, who, have, yeah. who have lost a good dog. Yeah. Um, it's a hard, very hard time. Yeah, so me and Josh, we had a Skype, we had beers, we had tears. It was a, a very sad sort of one, mm. like, you know, knowing King, him knowing Storm rather well and, and stuff like that. So, yeah, I've got two Huskies at the moment, Shadow, who we call our King. Mm-hmm. Um, the old man, he's 11 now. My youngest Husky, Coda, the creature from the South, my devil child. I love that lady. She's hilarious. And I have a Saplanac Titan, formerly known as Mr. Baboon or Plasma. His head's the size of a plasma TV. He is hilarious. <laughs> I love that Mr. Dude. Baboon? Yeah. How? how? What, it like- just came out. We are calling him Mr. Burns when he was a puppy because he's all business at the front party at the back. So he's got really <laughs> short facial hair and his back like puffy pillow on the back of his head. It's hilarious. But he's my dog. I do a bit more sporty sort of stuff with the Huskies. Do a bit of everything. So, What do you mean sporty stuff with the South Planiac? He's got pretty good drive. The dude's pretty pushy. He's fun. Like really? You, yeah. You can pump, come play around with some focus healing and, and stuff like that. Yeah, no yeah, shit. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Because I've really only spent any time with Georgie Harrington's one. Yeah. That um, I've heard some stories. <laughs> oh, man. That dog is fucking She needs dangerous. a cuddles. <laughs> yeah, Georgie does yeah. need a cuddle. Yeah. yeah. But you know, so I... Um, that's how we I should get her to the ICP so we can all give her a group hug. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Love she'd love it. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's how I met her. She got in contact with me saying, I've got this um, subplaniac. I had to Google it. I didn't know what it yeah, was. They're not that common. Yeah. A subplaniac. It's like a bear, basically. It's a livestock. Guarding they, breed, yeah. Livestock guarding breed. And so she works for the, the livestock guarding breed rescue. And I think you might have. Oh, you would have met her, but not the dog. You've probably seen Titan too. You might have. In, in At my place. Somebody was talking about some crazy rescue. I'm not rescue. Uh, well, you might have heard this story before. So she got in contact with me and wanted me to come out and assess the dog because for the on behalf of the rescue to see whether it should be put down or not. And it had a serious bite history. Like not only did it bite a guy, it then guarded his body, right? Like it was, yeah, wouldn't let anyone near him. So I come out and 
I've got the dog in a muzzle. It's muzzle punching me. It's all like, it's a, it's a shit storm, right? This dog is trying to kill me. And then she's like, so what do you think? I said, I think he's awesome. It's <laughs> a great dog. And, and she's like, so they had some, they had some other positive only behavioralist didn't get within 30 meters of him, threw yeah. food at him, didn't take the food. They said, knock him on the head. And I said, this dog is fucking dangerous. Like, don't, like, don't misunderstand what I'm telling you, but he is stable. He is in control of what he's doing. He is just the best slash most legit livestock guarding dog you've ever seen. Yeah. Like he is not unstable. He's in control of himself. Don't get me wrong. He will fucking kill anybody. He gets the chance to sure. Yeah. yeah. But if you can manage that, awesome. And she can, she's a badass herself. She's got kennels. Yeah. yeah. Like he's great with her. So She's yeah, still good. That's yeah. awesome. But he's a monster, like a legit. It blows my monster. mind when people, and I'll give the microphone to somebody else because I talk too much, but it blows, <laughs> it blows my mind when people get, I was talking to somebody at lunch earlier today about this, like when people get these dogs and then are surprised, it's yeah, a lot, yeah. it's a livestock guarding, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. And they're like, why is it biting people? And you're yeah, like, yeah. honey, what'd you think? This is a good one. Well, this yeah, is like, people, that's what I mean. Like, so honestly, yeah. people get all people think I'm joking when they tell me about their dog, and I'm like, oh, it sounds like a good dog. Yeah, yeah. And they're like, oh, that's funny. And I'm like, I'm not kidding. And it does sound like a good dog. Yeah. And they're like, no, it's a terrible dog. I'm like, what the fuck? You yeah, know what yeah. I mean? It's like I got a Malinois, and he bites people in parkas and you're like well what you know what i mean like yeah. that's not he just won't stop going after the ball yeah perfect yeah, yeah. you're like he's a, he's ball obsessed Is it, would, would you like, like to sell me that dog yeah, yeah I will buy you're it. like i will take that dog. like that's yeah. fucking dog's amazing like i literally go looking for that dog yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm disappointed at the fact that some of my dogs are not that yeah yeah i'm yeah. like oh you know <laughs> uh so is yours like that He's a funny dude in the sense that if you come to my house, you know you're not welcome. <laughs> the second I shake your hand, he is the goofiest jelly bean of all time. Yeah, right. He, he is hilarious. Like he is literally one of the funniest dogs I've ever met in my entire life. Yeah. If not the funniest. Like yeah. he forever just makes you laugh, that dude. I trust that dude around little kids and doing everything he does and he's a real dude of a dog. Mm -hmm. So yeah. And so I think what you do that nobody else that I'm aware of is doing in Australia is the socialization stuff that yeah. we've had numerous people come out. And I think I shouldn't say nobody else is doing it, but not at the scale you are. Like you're running large volumes of, of off-lead socialization, um, primarily for dogs with aggression issues and, mm -hmm. and rehabilitating them and creating social dogs from that. So uh, I first started doing that a long time ago. started doing it before I even knew it was a thing. I was doing work with clients' dogs. We're getting them to a point. And then it was like, well, what happens when we have a dog run past it that, you know, just running low fence or something, a dog can't handle that pressure and it's not used to it and it doesn't know how to deal with it. Or dogs that are, you're working with with people aggression issues and you've done X amount of work with the dog and the dog's doing really well, but then it, it still has that point that it just can't handle it. Mm -hmm. And social classes will have rules. So everyone will have different rules. Some people will say that you can have food. I personally don't have food in my social classes, but there's rules in there like you can't touch anyone's dog. Because mm -hmm. there'll be certain dogs that will come up to you like, oh, hey, I really like you. Give me a pet. And I'm going to eat you. Yeah. And non-negotiable. Like, yeah, yeah. now we'll go to the hospital. So we just have some general rules like that. We won't have children in the social class and stuff like mm -hmm. that. Um, everything's done on the side of safety. So I, I do primarily outdoor socialization. Mm -hmm. um, generally, we run anywhere between, I'd say, 10 to 30 dogs at a time. Mm -hmm. I did have one that was close to 50. We did a fundraiser, a fundraiser for Good Friday Appeal. And we would have had about 50 dogs going through that. That was wow. very intense. Um, yeah. So... Yeah, I did socialization workshops with Josh Moran in Melbourne and Brisbane and that was a ton of fun and it sort of 
very different workshops, both of them. Um, going up to Queensland, we had a lot of working line dogs in there and it was kind of fun doing that. Mm-hmm. I've done some indoor social stuff as well. It's not necessarily me, I don't think, but it does give me benefits that you couldn't do outdoors. So like, for example, there's one German Shepherd that's jumping out that in my mind right now that that dog runs like a freight train that if you have him outdoor, he's just going to build up way too much pace and probably sure. get himself into problems like even he can't slow down, so he'll just run headfirst into a fence because he can't stop himself. Mm-hmm. Indoor, he can never get the pace up or, or the ability to really run himself into problems in that sense. So it gives you the ability to do that. But indoor has different pressure. You have walls, you have a roof. Dogs don't feel like they can get away from things if they necessarily mm-hmm. want to. Outdoor is a lot more relaxing. I, I find dogs are a lot more just being a dog. They can sniff the ground. They can smell bugs. They can you know sniff wherever other dogs pee they can start digging a little hole like they tend to be dogs a lot more and it's very relaking um like you've been to my place you yeah, can't really yeah. stay mad there yeah no it's beautiful um, it's nice and open and you do it in like a horse it's an old horse arena right uh yeah so the place that i brought was a old horse property um so I had a yeah, ton it looks of horses great. there yeah mm. um, you have to come what i've visit. seen on yeah definitely will yeah so yeah and then earlier this year when pat brought out chad and jjack we did a socialization workshop with chad yeah. at my place which was a really good workshop it was a very hard workshop for Chad to run like a single day workshop to do socialization. Yeah. I put him under that pressure. I was like, hey man, guess what? I booked all these people. (laughs) I watched the Facebook video that he put out where he basically gave a great big caveat at the start about what a fool you have to be to run socialization classes. And I say that as well. It's the dumbest thing you could ever do. People are like, oh, you run a lot of dogs off. I'm like, it's the dumbest thing you'll ever do. Why? Because they all have big teeth. Yeah. (laughs) Like, but that was a really tricky workshop for him to run just a one day because he never really got to know all the dogs. Yeah. That's actually a very good point, isn't it? Like the safety aspect of it because it's it really is anomalous on where it can go from there. It Absolutely. can start off great and it can be very problematic. I mean, you have to be a very vigilant shepherd when you're doing socialization groups. You have to be on the ball. Yeah, it's the, definitely the hardest thing I do. Mm. Um, after it, I'm exhausted. Um, yeah, because it's stressful. Yeah. It's fucking stressful. Yeah. Well, and it's... It would only take a lapse from you and every dog could be fighting because even the, yep. even the good social dogs can get caught up in the frenzy, right? So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, th- there's always going to be a large aspect of management. I know that I could have one of those two dogs off lead but not both at the same time. Socialization mm-hmm. is the same as being a crowd controller. It's yeah. exactly the same. Like when you're working at a venue and you're watching – especially like a pub or something like that where you've got potential aggression going on within the the confines of wherever you are, you're you're a sentinel. You have to be watching the behaviour of the group. You have to mitigate where there's going to be potential problems before they actually occur. It's like duty of care. You have to foresee the future and step in quickly. If you take your eyes off for a second, if you're distracted by something else and you're not paying attention, you're not seeing the potential explosion that is mixing, like that cocktail has already started to establish in that corner. You're not paying attention, bang, you've got an explosion right there. Absolutely. And that's and it thing. can be fatal. Yeah, you have to know every dog in there. Hmm. It's where, like, if you call me up and off the street, I'm not going to take your dog straight on and put it in the social class. It's just, it's too dangerous for everyone, including your dog, because your dog might inadvertently run itself into problems. Yeah. Because it doesn't know how to understand social cues and, and stuff like that. And you know, the time and place you know the dog well enough, you go, I can let that go because I know that that dog will teach that dog through that behavior. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, there's a lot of things like that, but it, it's it's high risk, but it's such high reward. Yeah. And p- particularly I find with the dogs that have people issues, because you can have 30, 40 people walking around and no one's going to touch that dog and no one's going to invade its personal space and stuff like that. You watch that dog, it comes in, it can be super stressful. And I have dogs running up leads trying to bite me and stuff like that. The first time they come in, they can't handle the nerve. 
and we've done work with the dog and dog's a really nice dog and, and it's gotten a really good relationship with us. I can't handle this. Mm. And then a couple minutes later, you see that dog start to loosen up and then you'll get those dogs. I'll have some of those dogs where I can let them off lead in the first session and they just walk past them on their own business and they're not too fussed by other things. That's cool. I didn't, I didn't, I don't have anything to do with social stuff. I didn't realize it was good for people reactive dogs as well. Absolutely. It makes total sense. Of course yeah. it does. I, I hadn't thought about that at all. Yeah. It can become your best friend because you, you know the people that are in there as well. Mm -hmm. And then if we're doing sort of training situations that, you know, this is what we do if someone goes to try to touch your dog. Well, I can ask three, four people to walk up to you now and run through that mm -hmm. situation mm -hmm. and we can give the dog a breather and, you know, you can take your dog out and go have a great big bear hug with your dog or just a champion. Your dog mm -hmm. doesn't have to be in there for 45 minutes or an yeah, hour. Yeah. Your dog had a, a great 15-minute window then. Mm. We're done. Yeah, perfect. That's it. And even just getting some dogs like that will have that we're leading up, like they've got a lot of issues and we're trying to help them through that. You don't have to come in the social, but you can do now your homework using your socialization classes like a controlled dog park where you don't have to worry about dogs off lead running yeah. up and, and becoming a problem for you and stuff like that. So it can be super beneficial for that. Yeah. One of the things I explained clearly to NDTF students, it's like the springboard of you do the course, it gives you relevant industry knowledge. But then as we say to them, look, you've got to understand this is a tapas dish. Like there's so much more, so much more. One of the things I explained to them is the wrong type of people, A, to take puppy classes and socialization class is an inexperienced, enthusiastic person, which is what a lot of organizations do. They hand it off to them and basically say, well, you know, you're enthusiastic, you're a happy person, you'd be great at taking socialization class. Wrong. That's like having a child taking a psychology session where somebody who is afflicted in some way and you've got some teenager sitting there going, sitting there looking at their phone going, okay, so tell me about your issue and just watching Facebook while the person is talking. And you've got somebody who's got very deep-seated problems there. They have no place being in that, that position to do it. And it's exactly the same when they're taking socialization classes with dogs and puppies. They should not be doing it. It needs to be an experienced, well-grounded person who can actually fix that because that really is a mitigated disaster for a high-class fuck-up if they don't do it properly. Yeah. yeah, and that sort of thing, this is where you have to know every dog coming in and you have to have a bond and rapport with that dog and the, the owners. And it, the thing that I love about my socials is everyone is there for the right reason. Mm. Everyone is there because they love their dogs. I know I have a really good group of people that come to my socials. They wouldn't come if they didn't. Absolutely. Mm. And, you know, there's certain dogs that like, hey, it's not necessarily about your dog getting off lead here. That's, that's not a big deal. Like it's for your dog to be exposed to all these things. Your dog running and playing off lead is not the biggest deal. Your dog's issues are lead issues. Yeah. It's a dog leaving feeling better than what it arrived. Yeah. Hmm. And we see that with a lot of the dogs that come that, that you know, they'll some dogs will get there and they're like, oh, I'm not really sure what we're going to do. And like, who's here today? Like, do I have my friend here? And because all those dogs have worked with my dogs, the dogs that have aggression issues and stuff like that have worked with my dogs leading up to it. They've got a bond and rapport with those dogs. So when I decide mm -hmm. that I want to start inviting dogs in, when mm. I brought this dog in, I'll invite my dogs over and the dogs will go, oh, courtesy, thank God. I got God. a buddy here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, and Shadow's here too. This is great. Why did, who's this dude he's calling in now? Like yeah. he's kept everyone else away from me because I'm not comfortable with it. So I'm very much like a, a rolling bodyguard for every dog in there. They know I've got their back. I'm going to look after them no matter what. Like, That's awesome, bud. Um, but it means when I start inviting dogs in, because I've got a relationship with the dog, the dog straight away goes, oh, well, he, he's saying he's okay now. Like I'll check that out. You know, and there'll be dogs that are running around there with muzzles and stuff like that that have had serious dog fights before or have bitten people and stuff like that. 
I don't care if every dog in my social was to be muzzled if they needed to be. It's just a cheap insurance policy. It's going to stop that problem that we never mm. want to have. Yeah. I'm glad to know people like you are out there. Yeah, man. Well, I think we're lucky in Australia that you put in the work and effort yep. to get those skills, travelled around and got it, and are now implementing it. It's probably time for you to start running workshops on that in Australia. Agreed. Yeah. And one of the good things about being a dog trainer is we never stop learning. Yeah, um, so 100%. A part of my time, this time when I'm in the States, I'm going to go down to Dickinson, Texas with Jason Falsconi, who is, as far as I'm aware, the only person in the world that runs large-field socialization. Because mm-hmm. you have capacity to do that, uh, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so I could do he's that. He's here, isn't he? Yes, he is. Yeah, I'll he's doing the judging. If I, yes, he is. Yeah. But Jason does it on three and a half acres, 100-plus dogs at a time off lead, and I have to go check that out. Damn, if, yeah, if I can get better at what I do by learning something from that, man, Damn. I have to do that. So, oh, nice. Cool, so, yeah. Thanks for doing it. Yeah. So, Jordan's. Hey, we have to wrap up. I know yeah. we're running out of time because we, we have to go to Emma's paper plate recall thing because I, I missed the first one. I want to see this one. But before we go, Jazz Whiting, veteran of the show, has been sitting in the room the whole time and it's worth talking about that she's come all the way from Australia. Sans from dog. From Sydney. Fuck yeah. Sans PTSD assistance dog. Left her at home. She's killing it here. Well done. Thanks. We just need you to say hello. <laughs> Can't be in the room the yeah, whole just time say without hi, talking. Why would I say hi, Sweats? That's my name. Oh, God. <laughs> Are you having fun, Jazz? <laughs> Sorry? Are you having fun? Yeah, man, definitely. You look like you're doing good. Everything's going well, and yeah. I'm proud of you for coming over. Thank yeah. you very much. Especially considering that you weren't looking forward to the flight over and you and you aced it. Yeah, did did sleep at all. You didn't pull the emergency <laughs> door while you were <laughs> halfway like through. 30-plus hours, didn't sleep at all. And I'm Mate, running then on. went and hung out with Sean and did some decoying. Yeah, attended the first day of trial and did a little bit of decoy in the obedience for that. That's fun. And you've got your own little sweats fan crew over here? Oh, apparently so. I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I have a lot of nicknames. I pretty much just answered anything yeah. at the moment. So, I mean, <laughs> yeah. like, shit. The, I introduced – there was a group of people, actually, and uh, someone introduced me to them and they're like, hi, this is um, – this is sweats and I was like, "Yep, sweats, jazz, JP, just listen." Jazzy everything. Jeff, and they're just Jazzy Jeff, yeah, Becky. blah blah blah, Becky, and they're just looking at me like, "What the fuck, man?" What? <laughs> yeah, Linda, God damn it, Linda. Um, well, hey, I'm glad you're here. Well done, yeah. For my yeah so we Thank all are, and I think a lot of people here are glad to know you too. Yeah, cool. Mm. All right. I think, no. Well, we got Thanks, somewhere guys. to be. So that's it for another episode of the Canine Paradigm. It's uh, most guests we've had in one show. It's the tasting plate of the IACP. As always, if you want to get in contact with us, the best way to do that is via Facebook. We are the Canine Paradigm there. And if you can, like, rate, share, subscribe, download through whatever subscription you download us from. Uh, if you want to help support the show, you can buy a T-shirt from us. Which people have been us. doing. We've yeah, we've been selling these from over here. T-shirts and hats. Looking at hats Thank in you the guys. right now. Byron wearing a hat, looking good. But yeah, that's it. Glenn? <laughs> Music. <laughs> <laughs>